All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Punk Rock Barbershop, black artists and black creatives talking about their life, their origin story, their white artistic influences, and how all of that comes together to um, answer some of the question as to who is the person in front of me. And... We have a uh, a very nice, friendly, wonderful guest that is here today. Good sir, can you lean into the microphone and tell these people who you are? Sure. My name is uh, Brett Thomas Mapp, and I've been friends with Mike since about 2006. We were talking about earlier before the podcast started. Yes, we were. So, yes. So, we are coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. We're recording this on July 6, 2019. And, uh, yeah, Brett and I... Uh, so, I think you... Um, aside from Sigmund, so my good friend Sigmund, Sigmund the was it Sigmund the Sea Monster? Is that the character? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that from HR Puff and Stuff? Or I never saw any of those. Yeah, HR Puff and Stuff, uh, Marty Craft and yeah. Sidney Croft, which is wow, 60s, 70s, maybe. Yeah. So I don't even know if I saw the original, but right. maybe the reruns. Yeah, I, I I didn't know about any of that <laughs> stuff until I got to college, and people would always talk about it. So. Um, but yeah, so Sigmund, I've known Sigmund since 1998, um, you know, since we went to college together, but I think you might be the guest that I've known for the second longest. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. so this is a, a pretty <laughs> massive distinction. So yeah, so thank you, uh, Brett, for being here today. It's it's an honor to uh, to have you, and... Um, so let's let's like dive into your your life and your your origin story. So I know some of this because we've been friends for for quite a while. But you are originally from New York, is that correct? Correct. So I was uh, born in Manhattan, but uh, lived most of my life in Brooklyn, uh, specifically Brooklyn Heights, which uh, I guess in Philadelphia it's almost the equivalent of Washington Square West, uh, Rittenhouse Square. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up middle class. I mean, Brooklyn Heights was not like the Brooklyn Heights it is now. You know, you could have, like, middle class people could afford to live in Brooklyn Heights. Like, and now I think a bedroom is, like, probably, like, you know, a studio is probably, like, $1.5 million, And it's like, where all the famous people are. Obviously, most people know Brooklyn Heights from, like, the Cosby show. I believe that's where it took place. Yeah. Uh, so, but, like, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn Heights, spent most of my childhood there. I attended boarding school for like half of my life. So I'd say from like sixth grade to graduation from high school, I attended uh, boarding schools. And my high school was right outside of Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly, uh, the Church Farm School, which is in Exton, Pennsylvania. So that's kind of how I fell in love with Philadelphia. I went to St. Joe's and way back when, when most people after they graduated from college left the city, I actually was one of those few people who actually ended up staying in Philly. Interesting, interesting. All right, so I want I want to uh, unpack your origin story a little bit. Um, so, what year were you born? Nineteen sixty four. Nineteen sixty four. Okay, and you're the you're the only child. Is that correct? Ah, uh, no. So I have a a brother, and then did I know that? I don't know if you did or not. Okay. Uh, and then I have a. I hate using the phrase half sister. I got gotcha. you. But I mean, I consider her, you know, sister. Sister. Yeah. But uh, 
Same mom, different father. Okay, all right. So a, a bit of a, a blended family right. situation. And then my mother was Polish-American mm-hmm. and obviously white. And my father's family is originally from Barbados. Interesting. Uh, so how did your parents meet? Uh, believe it or not, they met at a jazz concert. So I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly my mom was very friendly, maybe semi-dating Herbie Hancock. <laughs> before he made oh, it okay before he so, made it so he so he's just like herbie like he's not he's not famous so it uh so like did your mom tell you this or like would like your did you have like uncles who were like oh you you know your mom dated herbie hancock like when was he like, was just like a I, dude it was actually i think it was one of my mom's like best friends like for like because grown like you know new york and particularly brooklyn is a lot like philly where it's like a city of neighborhoods so my mom was still friends with people that she knew since like high school. So your your mom grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know like when? Do you know when like the original you know person from your mom's side of the family like came over to the states? I want to say it was right before World War Two. Okay. All right. Makes uh, sense. So my like my grandmother came over. Gotcha. You know, you know, fleeing Hitler and all that mm-hmm. other you know historic stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, um, not that close with my mother's side because my mom died fairly young and so you know kind of like my way of dealing with the grief was like Mm -hmm. i was here in philly by myself and so i didn't have to deal with like the family side uh but and and something i'm i'm just curious about you know i mean and i you know i definitely don't want to like press too hard on family stuff if you know you're not that um you know if you don't necessarily think this is the venue to share like the super uh, details. I'm just how like how old were you when your mom passed away? Oh, uh, sure. I was in my early twenties. Okay. All right. So you know, still like old enough and not old enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, one. I think that no one's ever really old enough. Like, I mean, my my grandmother who had my dad when she was fairly young. I mean, like my dad was in his sixties when his mom passed away, and it was still you know, just a very sad time for him. But I mean, I would imagine, you know, and I don't want to pretend that I know, you know, what you've gone through. Um, but I imagine losing a parent in, in your early twenties. I mean, that's, you're a fairly young person. It, it's this, it's kind of like not how life is supposed to go. Right. I and I also think in your twenties, that's like when you're trying to start your own adult life. Mm-hmm. So it's very weird. Cause like in one aspect, like you pull away from your parents. Yeah. And my parents were divorced, you know, fairly young, probably like when I was two or three. Uh, so I don't have like any real memories of them being together. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, it is. It's it's, fair, it's weird where like, you know, one aspect, like, you know, you look back and where you felt like it was like, uh, I got to go to New York for Mother's Day because just like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then but now like you look back in hindsight and say, wow, I wish like I spent more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, so, you know, I'm sorry that you lost your mom at a young age and that she's not with you now. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear oh, that. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So, so your mom grew up in Brooklyn. Do you know what part of Brooklyn she grew she up in? She grew up in, uh, believe it or not, Williamsburg. And- no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I would, like, not to be super stereotypical, but I would have guessed either, like, Williamsburg or Greenpoint. You right. I mean? Actually, like- actually, was Greenpoint. You're okay. Right. And because, uh, as I said, like, you know, my mother you know, is Polish mm-hmm. or was Polish. Yeah. And before all the hipsters sure. took over Williamsburg and Greenpoint, that was the Polish like section of Brooklyn. Yeah. So like, you know, you had like your great old like 
church carnivals and you know you saw all like the rabbis all dressed in black and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so you know she grew up like you know f- not isolated but i mean you know as a a woman like in the 50s and 60s you know her like career choices were like secretary or like right. s- school teacher or stuff like that yeah it's a, it's it's an insular community with you know i would imagine um very sort of uh strict or rigid uh sort of like social codes of men do this for work women do this for work this is how people interact you know yeah it's like i imagine a lot of your life is sort of like the community has deemed this is what you do therefore this is what you do right okay and so and so you said your dad's family is from barbados correct did your was your dad born in barbados no so i believe uh, I can't remember if it was my grandfather or my great-grandfather who was the first one on our side of the family to make it over to the States. I, I'm, I'm going to say grandfather. And he settled up in the Boston area. Okay. So my uh, uh, my grand, my father grew up in Brockton. Oh, yeah. Uh, the home of Rocky Marciano. Yes. And <laughs> I think Marvin Hagler is from Brockton as well. Uh, correct. And yeah. Brockton, are, you, are you impressed that I know some I was, stuff about well, Brockton? I was Rocky Marshall. Everyone knows that. Yeah, that, no, I, they don't. Oh, boxing fans. Boxing okay, fans. yes, boxing fans know that. But yeah. So Brockton now is like desolated because mm-hmm. it's one of those like New England towns where the factories all left and stuff like that. But back then, you know, it was, you know, it was your typical like really cool place to visit your grandparents. Uh, so my grandfather had five boys and which always like annoyed the heck out of my grandmother because, you know, yeah. obviously she wanted like a girl. Yeah. And it's funny because like also like she had grandsons for like the longest time. And it wasn't until like my uh, uncle's like second marriage that she actually had like a, a, a granddaughter. Gotcha. Yeah. Finally get some some ladies in the family. Right. So my dad. Now, again, like family story or whatever. My dad was like one of those few African Americans that was into computers at a very early age. Gotcha. Like in the seventies and stuff like that. And it's funny, as a kid, he actually used to have like punch cards. Whoa. Like the old paper punch cards. Uh, my one aunt, uh, also she was very involved in computers too, and she worked for like IBM, like for her whole life. You know, even back when IBM Mm -hmm. was like the dominant factor in computers now, kind of like you don't even know if IBM still exists. Yeah, I, I don't like. Right. I, I don't I'm sorry, even, I said do, IBM. I meant to say Xerox. I apologize. Oh, okay. She worked for Xerox. Xerox. Okay. Xerox. But back, yeah, I literally have no idea if Xerox is or, around now. I guess they still are. I, I think so, but right, you know, you, yeah, but it's not like what it used to be. Yeah, now it's Microsoft and everything else. Uh, but so anyway, my father lived in Manhattan, and my mother lived in Brooklyn, and I, like I said, like you know, family origin stories, whether it's true or not, who knows you know, family myth. They met like at a jazz club and, you know, they hit it off. Interesting. Uh, as far as I know, I've never heard of any issues with them being an interracial couple. Okay. So as far as I know, like both sides of the family accepted that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously like everyone else in those sixties, they got divorced because they probably got married too young. They probably got married because they had me or something like that. Right. And they probably got married for the wrong reasons. Like, Almost everyone did in the 60s. But at least then in the 60s, people like, you know, didn't stay together. Like in the 50s, they, you know, got divorced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and so you said you were about two or three when they, when they got divorced. OK. Yeah. 
And then you, did you go to live with your dad or? I know I lived. I've always lived with my mom. All right. So you so you so you lived with your mom, right? Okay. And so my mom, like you know, she worked at OTB, which is Off Track Betting. Oh yeah, yeah. Which never really took it off in Philly. Uh, I think there was like one branch for a while, and she worked there most of her life. Uh, what did she do there? She was she took bets. You know. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so just like cashier, you know, uh, I'm not even sure what their title was. And, but, you know, she did her best to provide us with a great neighborhood. So like, you know, Brooklyn Heights, like, you know, is one of the best neighborhoods, you know, at when I was growing up and even now it's even better. Like if I could go back in time and like be able to like save, like, you know, my childhood apartment, like I'd be a millionaire. You, yeah, you'd be a multi <laughs> multi-millionaire. Right. Uh, so, so like, what what was the vibe like in Brooklyn Heights? That I mean, like, was it artsy people? Was it yuppies? Was it like working class people? Was it like a little bit of everybody? It was a little bit of everything. So, I in my building, it was very artsy. So, uh, my like one of my best friends playing as a kid was Jonathan and Jessica Craven of West Craven. Oh, like the Wes Craven's kids? Wes Craven's kids. Awesome. And again, of course, they were divorced because it was actually like everyone was divorced. Gotcha. I think there was like, we had two sets of friends that parents weren't divorced. I remember the one uh, complaining like that he wished his parents were divorced so you could get like the quote unquote two Christmases and all awesome. that stuff like that. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like we had Wes Craven was a neighbor. Uh, and like you like would see him when you were a a kid I not mean, that often okay but because like you know divorce and I, oh, so so like he so he wasn't was he like not there was he was not like, there as much he was oh, like you know it, like you it know was like I his ex-wife you, his ex-wife was there okay, like so you would I, just see him to pick up the kids right every now and then did you uh, have any idea like like when did you know who he was and it's it's not like oh that's you know that's so-and-so's dad but it's like oh like that's the because he's he's what the nightmare on elm street he's dude? nightmare on elm street but he did i mean i would have to say it was probably after the second or third Nightmare on Elm Street, it was like, or actually, no, you know, it was when his son got older and his son, like, I think co-directed or something like that. And it's like, you know, you saw like an interview in the news. It's like, is that? And like, oh my, wow, it is. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, also, yeah, I mean, you're you're a bit older than me. So, right. So, yeah, like, so you, it's not like, I mean, because like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies came out when I was a kid. But right. like, yeah, I mean, you were maybe like in college when they came out. I can't really remember when they came out. So yeah, yeah, like probably post like college. Yeah, uh, probably... they came out in like eighty four, maybe or eighty seven. Oh, okay. Then I just finished college or was yeah. just doing college. A young Johnny Depp, I think, was in the first one. I've never seen them all the way through. I've only seen like oh, five. Was Johnny, I can't remember. It's been yeah, so long. Yeah, he, he was I the think you're I, right. Yeah, I, I think, think he was the right. guy in the first one. Okay, yeah. All right. So 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 Wes Craven's kids. Uh, uh, so so Harry Chapin. Oh yeah, awesome! And so the Chapins, like all, <laughs> all, all them. That's awesome. Uh, for me, what was cool was on our block was the woman who designed the costumes for the rock band Kiss. Nice. So awesome. they, they would used to come to our block to pick up their costumes. That's cool. That's that cool. was awesome. Uh, there was a woman who was, and it's funny because like you know this was before, I didn't even think I knew what Philadelphia was. But there was a woman on our block who was related to Betsy Ross. Awesome. Uh, and she lived like in this old house all by herself. And what was cool was like, you know, Memorial Day, Flag Day, all those like patriotic holidays. She always put up the flag that had only 48 stars because mm. like she was like, you know, around before Hawaii and mm -hmm. I guess Alaska. Yeah. The last yeah. Two. Hawaii and Alaska are the last uh, two. But it was just neat, like, you know, knowing that she was like Betsy Ross's relative. And I think that became a, a, a common knowledge around the bicentennial, which you don't remember. 
No, uh, I, was, I was born after the bicentennial. <laughs> right. I've watched documentaries about it, so <laughs> oh, that's exciting. So. Uh, but like, what we remember about the bicentennial was it was like you know we painted like the fire hydrants red, white, and blue. Oh, yeah, so okay. it was one of those blocks where you know everyone looked out for you, like that quote unquote the Hillary Clinton. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like and you know j- just for the record, that's an old African proverb, Brett, <laughs> that Hillary Clinton used for the title well, yeah. of 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 her book. I, I for the five people that <laughs> listen to this podcast i don't want i don't want them yelling at me well so, it is talking about our white influence this is true yeah the, hey with brett and matt bringing it full circle i love it uh and i would say brooklyn heights was primarily white mm-hmm. uh i mean yes you had you know a few african-americans but uh again it wasn't like that it was segregated it was just yeah. like affordability sure but again and it's kind of funny like you know as you get older and like you know racism and all that is coming back to like the forefront of like you know not the forefront but it's always been around that it was in one aspect the 70s did feel like a little less racist even though it was more racist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i think in some aspects like you know particularly like in my neighborhood where everyone just accepted you for who you were so in that one aspect like i felt like it was less racist uh, and maybe again, it's just like childhood innocence and stuff Part, like that. Yeah, p- possibly. Right. You know, but like no one, like you know, when we got in trouble, like no one ever that used to say, "Oh, it's those you know, map black kids." Right. You know, it's just like, "Oh, it's those you know, it's Fred and George getting into trouble." So I, <laughs> so I, I have one comment about that, and then one question. So the one comment is, I, I definitely do think that in the seventies there was a bit of a sort of like. One, you're coming out of the 60s, relative idealistic times. And so I do think that there was a a sort of like a fair amount of like kind of social experimentation, almost of like, you know, we're, you know, um, we're, we're trying to live together and people aren't necessarily jaded. Because even if you look at like some of the, so even a show like Welcome Back Cotter, I don't really know if that would exist in... 2019 even in new york because i feel like people are sort of like so in their racial camps as far as like where they live where they work i mean and it's like even now the only time you really see mixed race shows on tv is like if it's a workplace situation because i mean honestly i just don't think that people socialize outside of their rate you know racial group that much in life in general um and i mean i think that's just the way with everyone um yeah, so I, I personally do think that, like, the 70s, there was a bit of this sort of, like, it's a new frontier that people are trying. Um, but but my question is that, do you think that there might perhaps be, there might have been more racial tension, honestly, if there were more black people in the neighborhood? Because, like, like, where I lived in Northern Virginia, I mean, like, we were, like, the only black family in, in our neighborhood. I mean, like, and it was fine. I mean, like, there was, you know... We were, I mean, I have no idea what people thought about us. We might have just been a novelty. But, like, I mean, also, we we were very much, like, the ideal black family of my dad worked in corporate finance. My mom was a travel agent. And, like, you know, I'm I'm a very nice, friendly kid. So, you know. I mean, I would say yes. I think there would have probably been more racial tension. And also, you know, because of the fact that I'm biracial, mm-hmm. mixed, whatever, you know, the terminology is. Uh, that I could pass. Yeah. So, you know, and as I've gotten older, or not as I got older uh, and started going to boarding school and stuff like that, 
I, you know, I realize that your white friends treat you as white and your black friends treat you as black. Yeah. You know, and that's just the way it was, you know, because when I was growing up, like there was no such thing as biracial. Right. You know, it was just black or white, you know. And so I don't think any people didn't appreciate like the, you know, having people of like, you know, different ethnic backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was more uh, idealistic, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, I do remember more tension and more racism in Brockton when I visited my grandparents because mm. like that's when Boston was going for their whole bus and crisis right. and stuff yeah. like that. I also think New York has always been more uh, interracial than other cities. Like I don't remember a bus and being a huge problem in New York city. I just remember that being a huge problem in Boston. And I also remember like there's a, a fantastic, not a fantastic, but a classic image of like sometime during the seventies. And I just remember you know, it still sticks out of my mind of a gentleman having an American flag, like almost looking to impale a yeah, uh, African American in his, in his stomach. Yeah, right. It, yeah, and it's it, it's it's from the Boston busing crisis. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I I mean, it's um, clearly it's a very horrific act that's being perpetrated. I mean, but it's it's a breathtaking picture, and I I think it won the Pulitzer for I photography mean, that it year. It should have if it didn't. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. Because it still sticks out in my mind, like, yeah. you know, almost 50 years later. Yeah. Well, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> when, um, you know, and I, with New York, I mean, and I don't know this because I did not grow up in New York, but I think that there is something to, when people are used to living around each other, even if they don't necessarily get along, I think that there is also a certain acceptance, maybe even to the degree of like, Okay, you know, like it's cool as as long as they don't marry my daughter, like it's good, you know, like, you know, do your thing and like, you know, don't necessarily come inside my house, but you being in your house, you know, like I think is fine because I mean, clearly New York has its um like very racist, you know, sections. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and there's been some, you know, even up until a couple of years ago and, you know, obviously it's still going on now somewhere. But yeah, uh tricky racial um, episodes, but yeah, I mean, but nothing on the scale of like the busing riots that happened in, in Boston. I mean, and you know, I mean, I think that, you know, Boston, uh, you know, has had a pretty notorious history with that. Um, you know, from what I understood, like St. Louis was, you know, like the, just like the segregation laws and the, and the racial tension, super, you know, super insane. Um, I mean, but New York definitely had its, uh, it's, well, what are sense things- of racial tension? I, you know, like when when Dinkins got elected, yeah, mayor. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember I was the like ten when that happened. So I remember like sort of reading a little bit about it, like in newspapers and seeing stuff on the news. But then as I got older and like actually knowing the history of it, I mean, but I mean, same thing happened here in Philly with Wilson Good and John Street, Michael Nutter, not at all, and then. Tons of black people voted for Jim Kenney this time around, so I was super surprised at how little racial tension there was in this uh, in the most recent mayoral, mayoral elections we've had in Philly. So right. Uh, well, also I think for me, one of the things that I've always noticed, uh, you know, I've and I've not lived in many cities, but you know, and I haven't like been a world traveler. But one of the things I always found unique about New York, more so than any other cities like in America, was that like in New York. Everyone rides the subway. Mm-hmm. And even in the 70s, like, you know, when the city was going bankrupt and the subways were scary, still everyone rode the subways. 
like I had, you know, a friend of mine who lived in Philly and like never took the subway. Right. And this is, we're not talking like that long ago. Yeah. And gotcha. she moved to DC and then she fell in love with the Metro. And honestly, even now in Philadelphia, if it wasn't for the fact of like all the millennials and stuff like that, the subway is still fairly segregated. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. like, and you could say, like, you know, you look at the Broad Street line. If you're going south, it's white. You're going yeah. north, you know, it's it's black. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the Market Frankfurt Ale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you feel like the definite uh, change, like if you're coming, yeah, from all the way, like six, you know, Upper Darby and then like around City Hall, like. 80% of the black people get off and then it becomes like much whiter. And then like once you get to Old City, there's like a few black people there. And then, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like once you get to Front Street, all the black people disappear. <laughs> right. And it, like, you know, and here it is 2019. It's still like that. Like in New York, you know, like, yes, like gentrification is a huge issue in, in Philadelphia now. But I think maybe other cities have already gone through that. So maybe there's a little less racial tension. Uh, particularly in New York where like, you know, black people have uh, and white people and Puerto Ricans and all that have always like lived so close to each other that, you know, it's different. But yeah, yeah we're going off on a no, crazy, no, no. crazy tangent. No, this is like, no, this is, uh, this is a lot of uh, the stuff that I, you know, that I want to talk about, you know. So yeah, the, we don't have, you know, like a, a super rigid uh, format. You know, we, we cover, we cover a lot of, a lot of things here. Well, you, uh, so you made some interesting uh, you said a couple of interesting things, which I'm always curious to uh, explore, partially because, you know, since I was born in 1979, the first time that I ever went into um, Manhattan fully aware was in the 2000s. Like, I had been a couple times in the 90s because my mom's family is from North Jersey. But, I mean, I, I was so little, I didn't really pay right. attention. So, I'm used to the to – the, you know, post Giuliani or the like the Giuliani Bloomberg Starbucks Times Square is Disneyland, not the the bad old days of the 70s and the squeegee men and and the brothels and the peep shows on in Times Square. So like so clearly that was happening in Manhattan and clearly the the subways, there's just graffiti everywhere and there's trash. But like did that sort of kind of uh, wild, wild west, anything can happen vibe. Was that filtering into Brooklyn Heights or was it just like this sort of artistic no, so enclave? I think Brooklyn Heights was kind of like its artistic enclave, kind of like, you know, its own little island, you know, yeah. where you had like brownstones and homeowners and stuff like that. Uh, I think when I was growing up, Brooklyn Heights was still affordable. Okay. So, like, you know, a single mom could raise her two kids in Brooklyn Heights. You know, it was before the artists, you know, fled Manhattan, you know, and moved to Brooklyn. Uh, And which happened in almost every city, you know. And so maybe that's the thing, you know, like you said, like, you know, like my memory of like Times Square was going to see like, you know, all the Bruce Lee movies and stuff like that. Uh, And, you know, it was kind of like an adventure. Like, so the subway was dirty, but since the subway was always dirty, Dirty, it wasn't dirty to me. Sure, yeah. That's, you it's know, normal. Just, it's right, normal. it's normal. And also, like, you know, we, you know, as kids, like, you know, we felt safe because you're kids and you're stupid. You don't mm-hmm. know anything. Yeah, you don't know. Uh, and so, and also, you know, we had to be home by a certain time. So it wasn't like, you know, I was in Times Square to like midnight, like when I was five, right. you know, like, you know, in fifth grade. <laughs> it yeah, was like, yeah. you know, be back on the block by like, you know, sunset or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so like how like did you go into Manhattan often or was it, you know, like once a month or once every couple of weeks or like probably once every couple of weeks, you know, to see, you know, what like like I said, what movie it was, maybe see like a relative or something like that. My dad was living in Manhattan. So like, you know, you know, like maybe once a month. Well, at that time, it was maybe every four months. Gotcha. You know, it was supposed to be once right. a month, but it was every but four yeah. months. Okay. Uh, so, but I mean, you know, plus like the museums and stuff like that. But I mean, like also Brooklyn is like, you know, people don't realize how big Brooklyn was. Mm-hmm. And at one point it was like the fourth largest city before it was part of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Brooklyn itself is huge. So you had Prospect Park, the, you know, Flatbush, you know, Atlantic Avenue. So we had a lot of things to do in Brooklyn, too. And also, I mean, this is like, you know, when you're kids, like all you want to do is like play on your bike and, you know, like firecrackers yeah. in the summer and, you know, go to Baskin and Robbins and, you know, mm-hmm. just do mm-hmm. kid yeah, stuff. Just do regular kid stuff. Uh, speaking of regular kid stuff and families. So so for the um, so for these artsy neighbors that you have, was it was it the full on artistic stereotype where it's like they're literally just eating macrobiotic uh rice every day and you know burning effigies of richard nixon (laughs) and um or you know or were they or was it like oh like yeah like it's you know uh the 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 craven kids they're like regular kids they just yeah everyone was right everyone's ready because also this was so west craven this is like before he made it gotcha so he was still like a struggling artist and you know he was divorced so who knows where he was living right uh the the Chapins again, like you know, folk music. You know, they were known, and unfortunately, you know, they were known more after Harry passed away right. fairly young. Yeah. Uh, and then like you know, there was other different type of like artists in the neighborhood. Uh, but I think it wasn't like they weren't like your stereotypical artists. I think like they had artistic tendencies, but they had like some type of day job. But you don't right. remember yeah. what it was. Okay. Yeah, so so they they weren't just like doing right performance and, art on their on their stoop till four in the morning, <laughs> right? And also, I mean, and it wasn't like there was like a huge concentration. Uh, so I mean, like you know, th- like the Cravens and the Chapins, you know, those are the ones that stand up, you know. But there was another uh, person who I can't remember who did like stained glass work. Gotcha. You gotcha. know, but like he did that, like you know, like almost in a, like in this room, like in this apartment. Yeah. But I mean, like you know, uh, I mean. Didn't find out till I was later on, but like, you know, Truman Capote, mm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, oh my God, from where the wild things are. Uh, oh, Maurice Sendak? Yeah. So there were a lot of like, there were actually a lot of writers that okay. lived in the neighborhood, which, and like actually one of my first like quote unquote jobs was being a gopher for a writer who I could not tell you what she wrote. I don't know if she ever made it, but I was like, you know, I would have to like go to like, you know, get her groceries and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I would like, and this is like way back when, like in the you know seventies, early eighties, where like I literally would deliver manuscripts to like her editor. Awesome. So, so like, that's you know, she cool. give me like, you that's, know, yeah, like like five hundred pages of type paper. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, and I like hop on the subway and yeah. drop them off because like you know, there's no facts or no stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's that's super cool. Uh, way more interesting than my first job, which is I worked at Target. I also okay. didn't have to get a job until after my freshman year of college. Okay. Uh, I mean, one of the things, though, like growing up, I remember was like, uh, so The Wiz, 
that was mm-hmm. filmed not too far from our neighborhood. Oh, that's cool. And then also, so I don't know if you ever saw Superman, the you know the movie, the original one. Yeah, yeah. All right. So do you remember the one scene where Superman rescues a cat? Mm, I don't. Okay, I'm so gonna well, I'm gonna watch it again now. <laughs> so though. there's a scene where he he literally flies and rescues a cat. Like, I think. Oh the, yeah, I do. I yeah. Now right. I remember. So that was like filmed right in front of my friend's house. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Uh, one of the things was so I. I have a vague memory of seeing the the twin towers go up. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, also, I lived around the corner from the, uh, the watchtower, the Jehovah Witness. Oh, well, like their headquarters? Yeah, it was their, like, I don't know if it was their world headquarters gotcha. or whatever. Okay, but what was funny was you never saw the Jehovah Witness. Really? I mean, or maybe they were just like that was just where they did all their like, I know clerical stuff yeah or, yeah they they, they they weren't trying to proselytize in their right. backyard they, yeah it was it was just for meetings and filing papers right <laughs> but i mean it was it was just like it was like a very residential neighborhood like yeah tons yeah. of towns of brownstones it was before like brooklyn heights became brooklyn heights right right okay and and so the whole time that you're there was your dad in manhattan the whole time uh yes okay so my dad lived up uh at that particular time he lived at Central Park West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to, uh, so like 100 Central Park West. Okay. Which was, at that time, I think it was a co-op or was it gotcha. apartments? And then obviously it became condominiums. Gotcha. Because um, yeah, like New York still had rent control. Right, right. Uh, and and was he just a, a, a sporadic uh, part yeah. of your life at that point? <laughs> yeah, at that point. Like honestly, like from... The time my parents got divorced to about high school, like I could probably count like on my hands, like, you know, how many times I saw my dad. Gotcha. I mean, like, you know, we did go up to my grandparents. Uh, we did go up to Marsh's Vineyard, you know, the mm-hmm. Cape Cod. Uh, wh- uh, what is that spot where all the African-Americans went? Oh, Edge- um, Edgewater? Uh, Ink spot? Or? Yeah, with, uh, the Inkwell. Inkwell. Um, uh, yeah, there's a... there's a Edgewater, I want to say? Oak, Oak Bluffs is Oak where... Bluffs. Yeah, Oak yeah, Bluffs. Yeah, that's where uh, Henry Louis Gates has his house. Right, so that, w- again, was, you know, where we went. So we were, like, middle class. Like, I wouldn't say we were upper middle class, but, like, it's, like you know, it's... We, were, we, went, we did middle class things, which... Later on, would become what you called upper middle class. Interesting. Okay. Because right, because like like the Oak Bluffs were, you know, back in that time, it was the only place where black people could go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it uh, eventually became where only rich black people could mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So. I mean, so like, how did it feel not really seeing your dad that much? Was it just like normal, or was it? it like- was, I think it was normal because I mean, and it's hard like. You know, like they say at that time, like the divorce rate was 50 percent. And like I said, like, you know, almost everyone I knew had divorced parents. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like unique. Like everyone's parents were like divorced. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, it was unique when you met someone whose parents weren't divorced. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they were kind of like the the oddballs. Yeah. And so I think that was like the whole latchkey generation. Right. You know, so like we got home from school. You know, this is before, obviously, boarding school. We got home from school and my mom's still at work. So, like, you know, we go out, have a snack, and then just do our homework or run around and play and, you know, do whatever kids do. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, actually, back then, if you think about it, like, at home, there wasn't much entertainment. Right. You had, like, you know, your free channels and then, like, you know, PBS, you know, 
Uh, it was before ColecoVision. Sure. Yeah, man, that's like super old school. Was it before Texas Instruments? That was the first game system I had was TI. Oh, that was in high school. Yeah. Well, so with the I, football game and the baseball game. I don't even remember what we played. Oh, it was like the, the little red dots that just you played back and I'm, forth. I'm guessing. I'm, so, yeah, I mean, I was super little when we had Texas Instruments, but my brothers are seven and nine years older than me so so like that was their that was their system right so there, there was like a fakey pac-man i think that texas instruments had i could be completely making that up like there, there could be yeah uh, i don't remember that one but yeah i just remember the football one where it's just like red dots and awesome you just, uh and then later on they tried to do a baseball one nice but back okay. in those days like yeah you just literally kids played outside yeah, I mean that's that's not that bad. I mean, I like yeah, I'm I kind of worry about uh for you know for my son Mercer. Um, yeah, I mean it's like I don't want him like growing up like addicted to television and like um not having a social life. Right. So. Well, I think the problem with not not the problem with Mercer, but like his you know his generation is like they're gonna have entertainment like on their hand, whether it's their yeah their phone yeah or, or eventually their watches yeah. Well, the, the the one thing I like I wonder about and I like I've talked to Naomi about this is I wonder if when um, either people who are maybe teenagers now when they get into their 20s or like people that are like little kids now, if if social media and the Internet and just like a billion channels, if it kind of goes the way of like TV dinners where like in the 50s, TV dinners was like this revolutionary thing of like, oh, you can just put it in the, you know, the microwave or put it in a stove for like 20 minutes and just plop it down. Like you don't have to really prepare anything. And like because I mean, like in the 50s, everyone was eating that. And then like later one, you realize that like it's just not healthy at all. Like it's so cr- cram full of sodium that you're begging for a, a heart attack. And then two, like, the, you know, there really is something to just the health benefits of having a freshly cooked meal. And also just like, you know, just the the social communal aspects of like actually sitting down as a family and eating. And, you know, and I feel like as a culture, we've really gone the complete opposite where like, you know, the the food like food culture has just become such a big thing. I mean, and obviously there's the sort of ridiculous uh, elements of it where like people are you know taking pictures of their dinner and then putting it on Facebook or whatever but like yeah I mean I I think that like even the fact now that like Walmart has a whole organic food section is that I yeah I feel like you know for our generation now it's just like the concept of a family eating a TV dinner seems like the most ridiculous thing so so maybe little you know babies now will will look back at us and be like why were you all on your phones so much and like watching television shows uh, like why would you spend an entire weekend watching a single television show 50 episodes on your watch that is the craziest idea i mean i'm not sure i mean like i know like my my friends or acquaintances that have like kids like in their tweens now like all they watch is youtube right yeah so they're as opposed to watching like an hour of like you know stranger things yeah uh they're watching like you know an hour of like four or five maybe more youtube videos yeah and then going back to the food i mean the one thing is like you know there are no family dinners because everyone has their different schedule so like you know the mom and dad and the two kids aren't eating dinner necessarily at the same time. And I also think last year was like the first year where more people had food delivered into the homes mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to like, you know, going to the grocery store. Right. Yeah. So now I do think there is the aspect that, you know, p- 
people when they do go out, like, you know, like, right, they want to take a picture of their food because they want to actually show that they were outside or to, <laughs> or, or, or to try to remember. Right. <laughs> uh, and then also the whole thing where, like, when people want experiences as opposed to, like, you know, you know, things. Yeah. So, like, people aren't, like, maybe spending as much money on clothes. they rather, like, spend money, like, going, like, on a yoga weekend. Right. I don't, I don't yeah. know. But, you know, it, it will be interesting because, you know... Like, you know, what we could do with a smartphone now is just something we never imagined. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. like, you know, you keep reading all about, like, 5G and how quickly you'll be able to download a, right. a movie now. You know, something that took, like, hours, you'll be able to do, like, yeah. in seconds. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen, you know, because, you know, like, I I still remember, like, my first cell phone. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, and, like, what a big deal. Like, I remember, like, you know, before I had my cell phone, I was supposed to meet a friend uh, and I said, all right, I'll meet you at Tower Records. And she thought I met the Tower Records on Broad Street. Right, okay. And, like, you know, I met the Tower Records on South Street. Yeah. And, like, we didn't have cell phones at that time. And, like, you know, we, we didn't, like, we I think we left messages on a pay phone or right, something like that. Right, right, yeah. You know, I don't think we had beepers because we, we weren't cool enough to have a beeper or a pager. Uh, but, I, I will <laughs> buy you a pager, Brett, because you are the coolest person that I know. Uh, so, But, I mean, now, like, it. you know, at, we're it's gotten to the point where, like, we don't even talk on our phones. Yeah, no. Yeah. You know. Uh, so, yeah, I have no idea what technology. It will be interesting. Yeah. And also, definitely. especially because, like, you know, Mercer's going to grow up, like, you know, with the ability to, like, you know, do so much, like, that we just take for granted now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I've... One of the studies that is often... Or one of the facts that is often cited to demonstrate just how much information we have at our disposal is they talk about how the average U.S. citizen or just the average person on the planet, if a person has a smartphone, they have more information at their disposal than the president would have had 30 years ago. That's a, a mind-boggling fact. Well, also, like they always say, like, you know, right, like your average smartphone has like more computing uh, power than like, you know, NASA computers that yeah. launch the Apollo missions. Yeah. So, right. It is like, it is amazing. And then also like, you know, when that next great leap with artificial intelligence and stuff like that, like, you know, I mean, I think within my lifetime, I will see self-driving automobiles. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Commonplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, from what I've heard, commercial space flight is a reality within our lifetime i think china was able to go over to the far side of the moon like they were able to oh, oh, right yeah, yeah i mean like and and that was considered uh, a very difficult feat and i think i don't know if it's nasa or another country's um uh space program but they think that they've developed a plausible way to get people over to mars like without it taking 80 years because it, it and it would involve using um uh, plasma as opposed to conventional rocket fuel like it's because I guess you would either need just like a ridiculous amount of fuel and heat it at such a high level to try to send a rocket to Mars like that's not possible but uh, but heated plasma hmm. could work I mean and they came and they, and they announced this I mean this was like four years ago so yeah these these uh, innovations, man. <laughs> so the the cyborgs are going to take over, Brett Map. I will well, sacrifice you Skynet. to one of them. Sky, <laughs> Skynet. Skynet's a real thing, man. Miles Dyson, if you are listening, 
do not uh, find the the T one thousand or whatever's uh, whatever it was. Was was Arnold the T one thousand or was think... or was the Liquid Dude the T one thousand? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember now. who it was. We'll, we'll find out when the new Terminator movie comes out. Uh... Are they making another one? Oh yeah. Oh, no, why? I didn't even see. I never saw like. Uh, uh, Salvation and Genesis. Well, no just one did. A- no, after no. after Edward Furlong, just don't make any more. <laughs> well, no, no more. Linda Hamilton's back. Really? Yeah. Is she hard up for money? Like, what? Is she bored? Like, what's? Uh, what, she doesn't I have think, anything better to do. I think people always like to renew their past in one aspect. I mean, and so it's like it like that was when she was like number one. So you you kind of want to go back to your glory days. All right. Yeah. I it's, mean, and also. And it's, it's funny. So like, it's, it's the film version of an oldies uh, like concert tour. I think so. Yeah. All but right. also you you uh but you always wonder about that. Like you know, it's funny because like you think, well, she doesn't need the money, but like sometimes those rich people do. Like like Johnny Depp. Like you know the amount of money he blows through yeah. is like amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, granted, he's a. I think he's an idiot. Right. Yeah. Like there's other people who like you never hear about like you know doing stuff and like you know and you have no idea like they're very well off but you know. Uh, but yeah, who knows why people do it? But it's also like, you know, why are there so many, like, you know, why is Murphy Brown on TV? Why is Roseanne on TV? Uh, I think Mad About You, which was probably one of your shows. <laughs> nah, uh, I, I'm, um, I might've had a, a brief, like three minute crush on Helen Hunt, but <laughs> no, nah, I never really watched Mad About You. No, cause it, they, they seem too like old. Cause I, I either liked family sitcoms when I was a kid, obviously. So family ties, um, yeah, Roseanne, Doogie Howser, uh, the 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 Huxtable show because I kind of feel weird just even saying that dude's <laughs> name C-word. anymore. Yeah, 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 that's that. You know, there are several c words that I don't say, and <laughs> and that's, that's one of them. Um, but yeah, but I guess like Mad About You came on when I was in high school, so I was into Friends and Seinfeld. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't want to see is a like, show. Do you know Seinfeld? I think it's like they're celebrating the thirtieth. So yesterday, um, yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but Naomi is a huge Seinfeld. Oh, fan. I did not know that. Like, I mean, it's probably still playing on the TV up in our bedroom. Yeah, like that. We were watching right. Seinfeld before we came down, and yeah, and it, and yeah, and I think it's at like hashtag Seinfeld thirty, and I'm like, is Seinfeld really thirty? Years old because I didn't really start watching it till like the fourth season, like when everyone started watching it. Right, no one saw the first two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's like mind blowing. Um, yeah, like Seinfeld. Well, it's is, funny because really I remember old. going over to Michelle's. Uh, remember Michelle from Whole Foods Market? Oh yeah, yeah. Going over to her uh, house with the long red hair. She worked at the front. Yeah, like, front, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Michelle Snyder. I I remember going over to her house to watch the season finale. Awesome. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. like. Was and like I don't even know how long that that was like ninety seven or ninety eight right yeah or it's funny like also you see like I think like Sopranos were twenty years ago wow yeah that's crazy you know that's crazy it's it's funny when you forget like how old some things are yeah also so um, speaking of TV shows and reboots so I'm against all of the reboots. I was against the Roseanne reboot even before her crazy tweets. And like, honest, like, and this may get me excommunicated from the black community. Eh, I'm, I'm not super mad at, I'm norm. I'm not any more mad at Roseanne than I am at Kramer. And honestly, I feel like, I feel like, and I may be the only person who thinks this, or if I am, I may be the only person who will say this is that I think people are, matter at Roseanne for being a Trump supporter than for saying something racist because Kramer from Seinfeld said way worse 
And no one was talking about like, get Seinfeld off the air. I mean, and granted, you know, Kramer is a, you know, wasn't like the main star. Right. But, I thought that but, happened after he the Seinfeld was over. Kramer's. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it, oh, it, right. it, yeah, uh, it happened. Oh, wait, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. like, like, no one said take off the reruns. Yeah, yeah. The the public okay, outcry okay. wasn't there. I mean, and you know, we weren't in the massive social media sphere that we are now. But like, most people, like when Seinfeld comes up, people like don't shake their head and be like, "Dude, what the fuck is with Kramer?" And the shit that he said was so much worse than what Roseanne said. Um, I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I don't really have much invested in like TV characters I at, at if, all. I mean, like, honestly, if if a rerun of Roseanne came on, I would have, I would feel personally no um, moral ambiguity about watching it. That's just me personally. I mean, like, I think it's right. super fucked up what she said, obviously, and. I am I'm not even surprised because there's lots of things that white people do that just like don't surprise me. So, um I'm not even I uh, I I was a little annoyed at her like the fact that like she feels like, you know, there is a double standard being leveled against her because other people other white celebrities have said worse things and haven't gotten as much blowback from it, but it's like you did equate a black person to monkeys and apes. That's not nothing. So, do you understand why people are mad at you? It's like, yeah, it was one tweet. That's a pretty fucked up tweet to do, though. I mean, like, it's right when you, especially when you should have "quote unquote" people that like, right, stuff. right. But she's always said or done stupid things. Like she had that whole yeah. thing with the, uh, was it the Star Spangled Banner? Yeah, grabbing her crotch and sp- yeah, I mean, yeah, I right. mean, and, so, yeah, and so right. I think like you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's Roseanne being Roseanne. But I do wonder, and it's kind of funny because with Kramer, that was actually caught on. Video, yeah, so you could rerun that again and again and again, which people don't. Yeah, like you know, like I almost completely forgot about yeah. that until you you brought that back up. It's like, oh yeah, you did say that stuff. Yeah, uh, which is funny though. Like, but a tweet, like I don't know if it's because we read the news on our phones right. more than we watch it, that it's easy to re see that tweet or something like that. Also, maybe there's more TV channels. I mean, granted, we, we get more outraged about little things now. Yeah, I, I I think it's a combination. I think we get more outraged about things now, just everyone in general. I think it's the climate that we're in. I think it's the fact that Roseanne has always been a public personality, like with everything. She's always been a public personality about her political views. Um, and and I do think that there there is a... I do think that there is a certain amount, and every political side does it, where it's these proxy wars of, oh, well, you know, Tim Allen is a Trump supporter, so, like, let's not watch his show Last Man Standing. It's like, that's just a crappy show in general. Like, (laughs) Tim Allen could freaking vote for Gil Scott Heron for president. Like, I, like, I, I wouldn't watch that show. And and I think that there's, like, there's, yeah, we've just become very calcified in this whole, like, red state, blue state, where it's like, oh, you know, Roseanne is, is the voice of, like, you know, real America, and Tim Allen's the voice of real American, and uh, right, Veronica and which, Mars is the voice of, of real Americans. Right. And Shout out to <laughs> Kristen Bell, Veronica Mars. The Marshmallows. <laughs> awesome. Is that, is that what they call the fans? Yeah, I, think that, I never, that, I've never I watched the show. Yeah. Oh, really? It's actually, you would really like Veronica Mars. Yeah, uh, that's what people have said. It's just one of those things that I never watched. Interestingly enough, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the writing staff of Veronica Mars now. Really? Yes. Look it up. It is a fact. They have even asked him about it in interviews. Yeah. He's he's one of the writers. Uh, who did I find out? Wasn't a writer. It was, oh, from Kid and Play. 
uh, I think it was Christopher Reed. Okay. I think he does the intro music to Bill Maher. Yes. Yes, he does. Which yes, I thought, he does. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. <laughs> and it's funny because you're like, you know, he was like, you know, top of the world. And then like, you know, he faded away. But obviously he's still doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's still in the uh, in the public sphere. Um, all right, so we so we've sort of uh, segued into um, you know into talking about the world of art and the white people that make it. Uh, but before we do that, I I want to um, not gloss over the rest of your origin story, but kind of like move through relatively quickly because we got about uh, forty five minutes left. So how how did you get from New York? To boarding school in what Exton you said. Yeah. So, so for people who aren't from the the Philadelphia slash Marion Anderson City area, Exton is a suburb of Philly. So yeah. So how how do you get from Brooklyn to Exton? Sure. To so, now being the unofficial artistic mayor of Philadelphia. So uh, looking back and finding out some stuff like you know after my mom passed or something like that, my mom always wanted to best for us mm-hmm. so i mean that's one of the reasons why we ended up in brooklyn heights because it was like one of the best neighborhoods yeah. in like in, in the city uh so like i said my mom was a single mom she wanted what was best for us so she felt that the best education would have been a, a boarding school okay and then also i don't know if there, it was like one of my mom's i don't know if her friends or something like that i can't remember how we became friends but like Someone I knew, like, you know, or my mom knew, like, her, her son, Hilton, went to this one school. Okay. And so, like, when my mom and I, and, and uh, you know, with my, my my brother and I went to a couple of different boarding schools before we ended up going to church farm school. Uh, my brother hated boarding school, so he, like, chose not to go to boarding school and stay okay. at home, like, just causing such a fit and stuff like that. And I was just, like, the good elder son mm-hmm. so i ended up going to boarding school in exton pa church farm school for four years uh kind of and then that time it was kind of like boarding school is like all the stereotypical movies where you do all those crazy things but one of the things that it does well, like it, like dunking people's heads in the toilet and yeah all those silly things like, right right like trying to put a firecracker up a cow's butt <laughs> or something not that crazy okay. but like you know but we did have like like we did hijinks got it. Uh, all, so also is is this a like a super waspy like country club boarding school is oh, no. it, or is it like a hippy dippy like a young no, Bernie no, Sanders so, training no so this boarding school, school or she, somewhere in between and it was uh, it was for young men it was, it was all boys who either had a parent who was in the military mm-hmm. parent who was deceased or divorced okay so it was no like single like no like you know like families that were together. So gotcha. we all had like, you know, issues or something like that. Gotcha. Uh, and it was like church farm school. So like, you know, you went to chapel, like, you know, three times a week after school, you had to work on the, the farm. Gotcha. Now it was much harder, probably like in the forties or fifties like that, you know, but I mean, like there were some people who actually had to work on the pig farm and like shovel pig shit. Awesome. I, I was lucked out. I had the job of, I was in charge of the laundry room. Oh, okay. How'd, and you, so get, also, how'd you get that? I don't know is, how is I got it. That, that light skin privilege you got, Brett Mapp? I Could or be. Was, I'm assuming most of the kids there were white, probably. Uh, no, it's actually good 50-50. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. A lot of kids from Philly. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, I would imagine a fair amount would either, yeah, I mean, military or... 
Oh, yeah. Divorce uh, yeah, by dad. It, yeah. yeah, military divorce or deceased. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. unfortunately, I feel like black folk would fit that yeah, so, profile. I mean, maybe yeah, not 50 50, but a good, a good, like, you know, maybe maybe 40% at least or something. Like. I mean, for a boarding school in Exton, that's pretty high. Right. And I mean, also, I mean, you would be hard pressed to find any school in Philly that is a 50 50 <laughs> mix or a 60 40. And unfortunately, if it, you're and if correct. it is, it's, it's, um, central. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's either central or Masterman or SLA or or it's a public school where black people are moving in and all the white people are running right. away as far as well, they can. Also, also or or you know, or it's the flip side or it's you know, the 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 houses uh, around the corner from me that are like 90% black now and will be 90% white in maybe 15 years. Right. I mean, I grew up when there was still such a thing as middle class. Right. You know, so I mean, you know, it was a, it was a middle class school. It's funny because like now I see like they advertise like in Philadelphia Magazine, and also mm-hmm. boarding schools have kind of like faded away. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, obviously, like there's very few that are not like you know like there was no super rich when I was growing up. Gotcha. It was like it was right before the super rich, like in the in the eighties and nineties. But so yeah, right. So boarding school uh, ended up going to St. Joe's University and stayed. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's the Reader's Digest that, version. That's that that's that's the Cliff Notes version of Mr. Brett Map in in Philly. When you went to St. Joe's, like, did you live on campus or like kind of nearby uh, in West Philly? Uh, I um, didn't live in West Philly. I lived. Uh, well, was that? I don't know even you consider like St. Joe's West Philly. I'm not sure. I lived like in a house not too far behind Channel Six News. Okay, so it's not it's not lower uh, it's not Overbrook. I'm not even sure what that neighborhood was but, called. But it, but it's like kind of on the border of like Overbrook and Lower Marion. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Or like Overbrook, or maybe right, it's like it's, Winfield or Winfield Heights. No, it was before Winfield Heights was more. It was like it was Presidential Avenue. So I'm not sure what. Right. That is. Okay. I mean, maybe that is Overbrook. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm. For, again, for the five people that are listening to this <laughs> podcast, I don't know that much about West Philly, so do not yell at me. Most of my time has been in South Philly or North Philly, and I'm currently in Germantown. So I apologize if I'm butchering the West Philly neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even, like I said. So anyway, like, uh, ended up in Philadelphia, you know, and I was going to be like, you know, a great American writer or whatever I wanted mm-hmm. to do. You know, that was like my silly dream. Yeah. What, what was your major in college? My major was information systems, which was a combination. Yeah, of like what does com- that even mean? That it was like- a combination of computer science and, and business. It was bef- it was I mean, you have to remember, this was like in the mid 80s. We were using like basic was the language and well, call Well, so let, let's the so I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, people cannot see my face, but I frowned. So the reason why I frowned is because when I met Brett, Brett and I worked at Whole Foods together, the one on South Street, and you were like the community affairs liaison, yeah, basically, uh, yeah. Uh, marketing specialist, community liaison, yeah. So and and now you're you're with the Old City District, is correct? That... I'm the director of operations for the Old City District uh, Business Improvement District, yeah. And and aside from that, you also uh, you you have um, I guess it's it's a new you, you have an electronic newsletter where you um, you know you right, like chronicles of a cultural connector yeah where I like I send out hopefully on a monthly basis mm-hmm. uh, what I advise people to see or do so so I so I guess yeah like informations. I mean, you do like businessy. You kind of do businessy work, and you're. I'm just saying that your your college major. Does not sound like the Brett map that I know. Well, and uh, yes, and and I would say that 
for 95% of the people I know, your college major has nothing to do what you end up doing. Yeah, my mom was a, a sociology major and then wound up being a like a banker and a travel agent. Right. I think like unless you're gonna like, you know, gonna be a doctor. Right. Yeah. You know, like I mean, like how many English students are like actors or, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, I mean and like also like like I am a true believer that like no one should go to college at the age of eighteen. They should like you know, you know, serve for two years, you know, hopefully like an AmeriCorps or something like system like that, and then they get college tuition, like our buddy Mayor Pete's suggestion. Gotcha. But like no one knows. I haven't paid attention to any of the. I know that Kamala is very mad at uh, Biden for right. for being friends with the segregationists back yes. in the day. Biden says he was never friends with them. I don't know. I'm right. I'm I've dropped out, man. I'm uh, I'm I'm voting Brett Map right awesome. in candidate 2020. Uh, but I I feel that the majority of people you know don't know what they want to do at 18. Oh yeah, no idea. 17. No idea. Right. So that was just the major. Yeah. I just yeah, ended you, up you choose the thing. Right. Yeah. You choose the thing. You know, I was not the best college student because of the fact going to boarding school where like almost every hour was like, you know, uh, like you knew when you had to go to the bathroom, when to go to church, all that. So like I just didn't handle free time. Gotcha. You know, so I ended up playing peanut most of the time. Okay. Uh, But so ended up like, you know, working at iGoberg. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. I worked there. All this stuff that I (laughs) I don't know about you. That's where I met David Miles. Wow, interesting. So, you know, why is this the first? See, this is part of the reason why I wanted to do this <laughs> this show and bring you in for the interview, Brett Map. I'm learning uh, all of the secrets. So that was stu- back in like '84. Were you, you know? like, were you secretly married to someone no, at like any point? Like, never secretly married. Okay. Uh, so openly married, and you just haven't told me about it. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, so from I Goldberg, I worked in the surplus section. Mm-hmm. So and like. You know, it's funny, like you look back as you get older or maybe not even older, like I could have probably stayed in retail the rest of my life. So from there, one of my customers was a guy named Saul who owned Skins on South Street. Okay. Uh, That's a tattoo parlor? No, it was a clothing store. Okay. It was like back in the day, like in the 80s, it was Skins and Zipperhead. Okay. Gotcha. Like think of them as Coke and Pepsi. Gotcha. You know, the two rival stores. And so it was just when surplus clothing was becoming super popular and trendy. So he offered me a job as the manager of like his surplus section on the second floor. Yeah. And, you know, ended up there. Uh, then he decided to retire. Myself and other manager were like, well, do you know what you can do? No. Do you know what you can do? No. You want to open up a store? Sure. And so we opened up Inferno on South Street. And that was a tattoo parlor, right? It became a tattoo parlor later on. What, what did it start off as? It started off selling basically T-shirts and clothing to okay. your 15 to 25-year-old. Gotcha. And so we sold like whatever was popular. So like we were like the some of the first people in Philadelphia to sell like Echo Clothing. Oh, interesting. Like so when we first started, we sold like, you know, punk rock clothes. Yeah. And then we kind of, as hip hop became more and more popular and more and more mainstream and more and more popular among like you know, suburban teenagers. That yeah. was our, our bread and butter. That's what we started, you know, carrying or selling. Uh, like Janko jeans, which are making a comeback. Awesome. Uh, also, which I just saw in the Supreme Court, like a, a fucked uh, clothing line, F-U-C-T. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they used to like take famous movie images and just yeah. like, have the mm-hmm. image. So he just won like a court in case where he could copyright that name. Oh, interesting. Uh, which I didn't even know he's still around. Yeah. But, uh, but I was always into arts and culture 
as you know, a kid just growing up in New York, yeah. you know, going to like Broadway with half price tickets and stuff like that. Uh, so I mean, I and it was funny, like, before. Uh, when I first moved to Philly, I had that New Yorker's attitude about Philadelphia mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. It's like I grew up going to Broadway shows. So yeah. that's all I knew. So I didn't get involved in Philadelphia theater. So honestly, till I started working at a Whole Foods market, like I'd seen some plays and stuff like that. Cause like, you know, some of my customers were actors and stuff right. like that. So it's like, Hey Brett, like, you know, I'm in the show. It's like, okay, I'll go see you. Uh, ended up like she was in like Arcadia, which was the sh- first show at the new Wilmot theater oh, yeah, yeah. on Broad Street. Uh, what what year, year was that? God, it's got to be like 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, it, it was like 98, right. wasn't it? Yeah, because I, I remember, because Arcadia, that's Tom Stopper, yeah. right? Because, yeah, I, I remember being at UArts and different t- professors talking about going to see Arcadia, and particularly in the theater world, since Tom Stoppard is really known as like the very intellectual, cerebral playwright and like it's, it's like the whole thing it's like you, you need to have like a you know a, a phd in you know ancient chinese history of the 1700s <laughs> to like understand right he his plays like- so um yeah so that was always they were like oh a tom stopper like don't neil simon is for is for neanderthals if you're a real artist you'll see tom stopper right so my my customers at like at skins and then inferno were like some of them are into like uh to the theater or actors. Like, for example, one of my customers was Seth Green. Oh. Before, this was Dr. like- Dr. Evil's son? Dr. Evil's son. This is like when he- Is he from here? Yeah, he's from, I think, Abington or something oh, okay. like that. Uh, he actually, I think I met him when he was just finishing up or just was in it, the first movie. Or actually, it was a miniseries, I think, on ABC. Oh, he was in that? Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, this is, he was not Seth Green. Yeah, Seth yeah, Green. yeah. He was just like a kid back right. then, right? Uh, this was before he was dating. What's her name from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, they dated. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, he uh, dated Willow. Uh, uh oh, um, uh, Alyssa. Yeah, Allison Hannigan. Right. Yeah, because remember he was Oz for a brief second. The werewolf. I I never watched it. Uh, you never watched Buffy. I never watched Buffy. I don't know. I wasn't I'm still talking it. to you. I wasn't into it. Oh, uh, give me your ch- my <laughs> one of my brothers saw the movie like when it came out with what's her face, Christy Swanson. Swanson. Yeah, I I never watched Buffy. Right. So, you're already mad at me because I didn't. I, I've never seen an episode of Firefly. You, it was, <laughs> but there was okay. only like ten episodes, right? So like, maybe twelve. Maybe yeah. 12. So it's it makes. And I I never watched. I watched the original Battlestar Galactica, uh, <laughs> but the new one with Edward James almost have never seen it. And did you watch Battlestar Galactica 1980? <laughs> uh, I it's may it's possible that I did because w- like when they were coming on, it was all a blur, so I ne- I right. didn't understand that like there was there was you know a Battlestar, then there was 1980. I think my brother. Right. I think 1980 me. was like the second or third season. I can't remember. Yeah. I remember like when Battlestar Galactica, like when they tried to make more money. So they put it, they re-released it in the movie theaters, like the first episode. Oh, really? Awesome. And it was like, it was like the sense around surround sound. Oh, nice. Which yeah, like, you know, it's funny. Cause also like, I think it was that one movie earthquake was the same thing. Awesome. It was like, you know, like, cause like, you know, it was like right after Star Wars where everyone's trying to rip off Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Uh, but so anyway, I really became heavily, like I said, I would go to theater now and then, but I would really became heavily involved when I started working at Whole Foods Market. Uh, my, like I said, one of my favorite parts of that job was giving away, you know, to nonprofits. Yeah. And since we were the second Whole Foods Market in Philadelphia, a lot of the nonprofits were already like 
uh, teamed up with my sister store at Callow Hill. Gotcha. So I started teaming up with the arts and culture organizations. So it's kind of like, you know, well, would you contribute like a brownie tray and, a, you know, thing of coffee to our opening night? And I said, sure. And what happened was that like a lot of times they always say, well, as a sponsor, you know, would you be, you know, would you want to come to the show? And I was like, you know, sure, I'll go. And over the course of time, I became like, you know, the go-to, you know, donation guy yeah. in Philadelphia for arts and culture. And then also, as you st- because the Philadelphia arts and culture is such a small world, like once you start going to a couple of shows, you know, you, you start knowing everyone. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is kind of like the origin of how I became like, you know, such a cultural connector. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, so like when you were a little kid in New York, I just want to circle back there for just like a brief second, brief second. When you were a little kid in New York, I mean, like, did you see like how often did you see like Broadway shows and did you see anything memorable? Like, did you see Cats or like Jesus Christ Superstar? Or was it like some some janky production of I was a little both. I mean, so we always used to do the Rockettes. OK, that was like a holiday tradition. And then uh, I had like my cool aunt that lived like right off of Times Square, mm-hmm. like in this like, you know, probably studio apartment. And she had a job or she had a friend who had a job like on on Broadway. So we used to get tickets to stuff like, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, like I'd say like maybe like four or six times a year, maybe less than that. I, I love that humble brag. He's like, I only went to Broadway shows maybe like once a week. Not a <laughs> no, lot. No, it wasn't that often. Not a lot. Um, no, because I was I was still too young and didn't realize it. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I did see some, you know, looking back, did I see anything classic that I can remember off the top of my head? Not off the top of my head, but I probably did see gotcha. some stuff. Uh, it wasn't until later that, like, you know, I, you right. know, like more college age. Like, yeah. But yes, I did see Cats, you know. <laughs> did you really see Cats? I did see Cats, is it, yeah. Is it any good? I, I, I like the song, was it uh, Memories? Yeah. That, that's a good song. Uh, I mean, like, it's good for nostalgia. Like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> well, no, like, I mean, like, when you when you first see it, you think it's good because you, right. you don't know you don't any know better. any better. Yeah, right. You know, like, but I grew up like with the classics, like you know, because like you know, B- uh, Channel Thirteen, PBS. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like they always showed like Broadway show musicals yeah. on TV. So you know, like I grew up watching like Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, Seven Brides for Seven. You know, all the all the classics. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, all right. So, so with your newsletter, Chronicles of a Cultural Connector, what's like? What's the? What are you trying to achieve with that? Like, what's the manifesto or the mission statement with that that newsletter? So, with the newsletter, it's not so much as a. I would always like. I, my first newsletter was right around the Fringe Festival, and so I've been going to the Fringe Festival for like you know the twenty odd years it's been in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. And uh, as social media got developed and stuff like that, like I was like one of the first people to like, quote unquote, tweet for the fringe. Okay. So I was, I don't even know if I was hired. I guess I was an influencer before the term like was really used. And so there was about seven or eight of us and we were basically, our job was to go see a fringe show. And like every time we saw it, we would like tweet about it. Like, you know, using the hashtag like Philly fringe or Mm -hmm. whatever the hashtag was. Uh, and so like I became legendary for my going to like a lot of fringe shows mm-hmm. 
And as social media was just starting to get developed, I would like post my schedule and stuff like that. And people would also stop me on the street and say, hey, Brett, what should I see? What should I do? What show should I see? So I did my first newsletter was dedicated to, it was basically my fringe schedule. Gotcha. Uh, and then I just started saying, well, if you could do that, you know, here's some plays you could see. And it's funny because like I, like, you know, right. I Like, you know, I call myself a cultural connector, which like officially became because of Leadership Philadelphia a few years ago did like kind of with Malcolm Gladwell's like, like connector project. Mm -hmm. So they did a project where they identified like, you know, the 101 like connectors. Yeah. And then a few years later, they did something called like the emergent connectors. And if you look back, like the emergent connectors were basically the connectors under 40. Mm -hmm. And I was like one of those connectors. Okay. And then a few years later, they did the 76, you know, Philadelphia 76, right. uh, quote unquote, creative connectors. And so there was people like, you know, Questlove, mm -hmm. you know, Jane Golden, you know, myself, uh, a couple of people, you know, other people. Uh, but what was what you know was good was that like I was on both lists and it was all basically you know the connector was because of my job at Whole Foods yeah like because I dealt with all these different nonprofit yeah. worlds and just getting out there and meeting people and the creative connector which you know if you look about it was like I don't create anything I'm just like it was basically solely for being an audience member you know at that particular time I did not have a serious girlfriend I never married never had children stuff like that you know. You walk your dog, you go grab some dinner, then you go see a show. And over the course of time, you know, I have become a Barrymore nominator. Now, this season, I'll be a Barrymore judge, which is the Philadelphia equivalent of the Tonys. Yeah. I've been asked to serve on a couple of the Philadelphia Council of Arts panels where, you know, for grants. I served actually this past spring. I was actually asked to be on the... New Jersey Council of Arts panel, mm. uh, which is what they do is interesting is they get all non-New Jersey residents. Interesting. Uh, so they got someone was from, from Brooklyn, someone was like from the Westchester area, and then myself. And, and is it so that like people aren't sort of swayed by personal Right, no conflict of interest. Yeah. And also sense. it's like you would read it and just like, you know, you would read it and hopefully like, like, you know, in Philadelphia, I would say, oh, well, I've gone to that company's performance. So does it sway me a little when I'm judging their grant application? Hopefully not. Right. But in New Jersey, like I had never heard of any yeah. half of these organizations. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting that way. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been picked, you know, to do other like, quote unquote, like artistic things solely on just being like an, a super duper audience member. Yeah. You're like the, uh, you're, you're, you're like, uh, this like super fan. You're, yeah. You're like, uh, you're like, um, uh, the character that William Miller, no one will know who I'm talking about, but I'm talking about almost famous. So the, the character that's based off of Cameron. Oh, Crow, right. He's okay. like, yeah. He's like, you know, he's, he's a fan before he's a journalist. Right. So, and then, yeah, you know, he, he wins the confidence of, of the band. So you're, you, you, you are the, you are the, uh, the all around, not just music, but like you, you are the all around arts Philadelphia version of Cameron Crow. Oh well, thank you. That's, that's a huge compliment. Yeah, how does that feel? Like that? See that that that's that's a new. Uh, you, you can put that on your resume. I, I will. I do as, I, as well. So um, so like, what would you if you're doing the soft sell about Philadelphia art to people, particularly maybe folks who are coming from New York 
the artistic mecca in their minds. Um, like, what what would you really say about the Philly art scene to to try to you know flip them to come around to recognizing what's going on here? So I would say that the the thing to me that makes Philadelphia, particularly like the arts and culture world, stand out more than you know New York is the passion, because in Philadelphia, you know, there's a very few people who can afford to do their art full time, 100 percent and pay their bills. So they have to have a quote unquote day job, but their passion for it keeps them going on day in, day out. Uh, You know, there's not the acceptance of being an actor, you know, as there is in New York. Granted, like New York, like you could say, like everyone's an actor. Right. Or something like that. Which may or may not be true, not living there in like such a long time. I, yeah. I can't say that. But also, one of the things, too, is like people always think about Broadway. It's like, oh, Broadway, Broadway. But what you, if you look at Broadway, it's the audience is really out of towners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the majority of shows on Broadway are for the common man. And I hate using that phrase, but it's for pure entertainment. Yeah. So you have something like, Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. You have something like Legally Blonde. Yes. You know, which is also at the Walnut Street. But you have something that, are, you know, Broadway now are, are, are all movies that people yes. are familiar with. Yeah. Every now and then you come up with something completely original, uh, like your Hamilton, like your Be More Chill. Right. Uh, or uh, what, what was the other big one? Uh, Spring Awakening was right. like the one that sort of set the world on fire. Right. I mean, and like I still and I still love going to a big Broadway production. Like yeah. I loved Book of Mormon. Gotcha. You know, yeah. I've never seen it, but I know I would love The Lion King mm-hmm. or any of the Disney musicals. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is something about seeing like, you know, just a spectacle. Yeah. You know, uh, but what I like also about Philadelphia is for the majority of theaters is the intimacy like where you can almost see like the freckle on like the actor's face. Gotcha. You know, uh, and the fact that they just, I feel like they give their all because, you know, one, it's such a small community. So like, you know, they don't know who's going to be in the audience. So, you know, and it's just, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's better work. It's more intimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, more definitely more passionate right. and also because we're not competing with new york uh you know you have more serious pieces of art you know like mm-hmm. yes they're like you know you you're gonna have like you know legally blonde the musical there's always gonna be a, a traveling show like that absolutely and you know and there's nothing wrong with that like i'm i'm, I'm kind of like you know a lot yeah, of just, people just for the record have you seen the legally blonde movies I've seen part one. Okay. I'm That's not the only sh- one I've seen. I, I'm yeah. not sure if I've seen the second one. And I don't know if they did a third or did they did one of those st- directed DVD sequels? I think they might have. Um, well, like, wasn't it her niece or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was like her niece. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Yeah, um, yeah. Reese Witherspoon wasn't in the right. third one. But the, yeah, the first one is genius. I love it. I'm not well. Yes, well, genius, okay. Brett Map. Do genius. not, yes. do not doubt me. Also, and listeners, this is also yeah. the person who thinks like Ted is the greatest movie of all time. Ted is freaking hilarious. <laughs> no, no, a movie, a movie that's way better than Ted is "That's My Boy" with Adam Sandler <laughs> and Andy Samberg. <laughs> oh my Dude, God. that movie is 
fucking genius. I, anyway, get adultery back. is wrong, <laughs> but incest is fucked up. Getting back to real arts and culture, <laughs> dude. Whatever, man, dude. Uh, Tony Orlando is in. That's my boy. Yeah, he plays. Um, he plays. Uh, I didn't know he was still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. Yeah, he wow. plays. Uh, he plays. Um, uh, Does he still have the mustache? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I gotta watch that now. Yeah. He, yeah. He plays a uh, uh, Andy Samberg's uh, boss. In okay. It. Yeah. You, uh, Freddie mm-hmm. Prinz passed away. So so Freddie Prinz Jr.'s dad was like a big uh, '70s like TV right. Chico star. Right. on the man. Yeah. Chico. Yeah. So he's. But yeah. Tony Tony Orlando at least back then was. Still alive, maybe still is. Hopefully, yeah. So he's he's in. I'm just saying that's my boy. Is also uh, Jack and Jill, where Adam Sandler plays twin uh, twin brother and twin sister. Genius. I am sure Al Pacino plays himself in it, and and he falls in love with Jill. Like that's part of like the major part of the movie is that he's trying to like get her to to date him. I, I will have to. Well, I know Adam Sandler is like the king of Netflix. He yeah, all those Netflix movies. Which is funny because I, I won't watch any of his Netflix movies. Th- those are too dumb for me. Yeah, so the new one with oh, Jennifer Aniston, like the murder mystery, <laughs> and then the one where uh, his son marries Chris Rock's daughter or whatever. I didn't, yeah, that came out like uh, a year ago. I didn't see that one. Oh, I must have missed that one. No, but. All right, so anyway, back to Philadelphia. Back to theater. Philadelphia theater. Uh, so I feel that they do more drama. Gotcha. Uh, so. Uh, so the shows are, you know, a little more in depth, a little mm-hmm. more passionate, a little more, you know, interesting and intriguing. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I'm not to take anything away from Broadway. Like, you know, you need that escapism every morning. Yeah. Then. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so I, 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 that is, you know, kind of my, my pitch for Philadelphia theater. Gotcha. Gotcha. And also it's very affordable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you can afford, you know, especially one of the newest trends I feel in Philadelphia theater is the pay what you can model. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. Uh, I also, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of the French festival and something new that is this year is there's like a kind of like a, a splinter group, a gorilla group called Philly free, Philly free festival fringe or something. Yeah. Like I, I literally just learned about that either this morning or yesterday. Cause I, I guess the thing is, is that there's, um, the uh, the Fringe Festival has had a lot of like non Philadelphia artists. Is that what it was? I I only sort of I glanced at the article. Well, so the the when the Fringe Festival first started, it, I'm sure it was all Philadelphia artists. Yeah, and like anything, it just grew. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and like years ago, they kind of did a name change where they called themselves like Live Arts. Right. Yeah, and I remember that. What they started doing is they started curating shows. And mm, a lot of them mm-hmm. were European shows. Gotcha. Which I thought is fantastic because otherwise they probably would not have a, a venue in Philadelphia if it were not for the Fringe Festival. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I get to see, like, a Czechoslovakian dance company that I probably would never get to see any time else. And also one of the great things uh, about European uh, artists is, like, their country will pay for them to, like, travel aboard. Right. You know, which, you know, unfortunately we don't do here in America. So, yeah, there's always been controversy about, you know, has the fringe like, you know, gotten too big? You know, you're I have to pay this money, but I still have to find my own venue and stuff like that. And, you know, not being a performer, uh, but also being a former small business owner, I could see both sides of the argument. Yeah. My philosophy is like anything that encourages people to see more arts, I'm for you know, and so if you can perform in someone's basement for free, you know, go for it, you know, because who knows 
who's going to be in the audience, who knows what the audience member may see, experience. Like they may decide they want to do their own thing. They may decide like, wow, I really like this. I want to donate money or I want to volunteer my time. You know, so anything that like, you know, encourages people to see more arts I support. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, So there's, so we have about 10 minutes left. We've covered a lot of, um, a lot of really, really good topics. Um, There's, there's two more, uh, there's two things that I want to explore with you in, in the time that we have left. The first is, what are your feelings on the the racial dynamics in the Philadelphia theater world? You know, and I realize that that could be a, a fairly vague statement, but I'll I'll leave it intentionally vague, just to see what your answer is. Sure. So, I mean, let's face it: uh, theater for the longest time was primarily, you know, like a white male dominated, you know, industry. Yeah. Uh, I won't say it was straight white male. I mean, you know, I'm sure it was like way back when, and then, you know, when homosexuality became more acceptable, more people were able to come out of the closet yeah. and, and be accepted. I would say the younger generation is definitely more multicultural and there's definitely more like quote unquote African American companies coming out now there was a huge like, you know, movement in like the sixties and seventies during the, you know, black Panther movement and black power movement and stuff like that. And some of them survived. Some of them didn't. Yeah. I find now that like, you know, and it's kind of funny, like when we opened up my store, my business partner and I Inferno, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just still young enough to say, F it, let's just open up a store. Right. Yeah. And, if we had a plan or if we knew what we were doing, we would have failed. Right. Yeah. But not knowing what you're, you're going to do, you just do it. And I kind of feel that's what's happening now today in Philadelphia where, so we're very lucky where we have University of the Arts. I remember it was College of the Arts. We have Headlong. We have the Pig Iron School. So we yeah. have these great schools in Philadelphia now where people are graduating and they're saying, you know what? I can make art in Philadelphia. I'm going to start my own company. Yeah. And because, you know, I grew up more multicultural than other people, I might have like, you know, black people on my, you know, board or my artistic company, et cetera, et cetera. So like, you know, for example, like, you know, Theater in the X that, you know, performs out in Malcolm X Park, like Mm -hmm. in West Philly, you know, that company probably could have existed in the 60s and 70s, maybe not the 80s, maybe not the 90s. And maybe not the aughts or whatever the hell we're yeah. calling that decade. Yeah, yeah. I think but, I think it's officially been deemed the aughts. Right. But but now they can. And you know, also with social media, they could go on and say, "Hey, we need some money." So you know, just click a button and you can donate money, as opposed to having to like get on the phone or sending out letters or stuff like that. So yeah. in one aspect, it's easier for a theater company to raise money, no matter what their diverse background. Uh, but it's also harder because there's so many. Right. Yeah. And also we still have a limited audience. Yeah. 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 There's I mean, still a limited audience. Def- definitely. I mean, and I, you know, th- this is something that, um, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I guess wrestled with is that, um, I think that there's more to the conversation. So like for me, whenever people start talking about like, so diversity, honestly, is a word where 
I kind of roll my eyes because I'm like, well, like, what does that really mean? And I'm I'm more for equity than like diversity. So so for me, it's a thing of, well, you know, if if a critical number of black artists or Latinx artists or Asian artists like, you know, whomever, um, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever the, you know, specific demographic profile that we're talking about, if folks are able to get work, I don't really care if the Walnut Street hires a lot of black people or the Wilma or even 1812. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I, you know, Jen Childs is one of my uh, professors at UArts. I think she's one of the most amazing people ever. I just think she's a great human and she runs a great company. They don't really have a lot of black people at 1812, but for all I know, like not that many black people audition for 1812. So, so I don't think it's a matter of saying the Wilma needs more black people or 1812 or pig iron. It's like, if people are able to get work, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I care about. The other thing is, is that I mean, you know, theater specifically is such a like specific kind of niche art that like not the the percentage of the general population that gets involved in theater is very small to begin with. And particularly, I mean, if you're talking about uh, quote unquote homegrown talent, like you said, I mean, uh, Philly is a very, I think, provincial city. I think it's a very uh, it's a very uh, blue collar or seemingly blue collar city, because I think that there are a lot of people in Philadelphia who actually they make more money than my parents made growing up, but it's it's in manual labor jobs, and the arts is not something that a lot of people in those communities think is a part of their world, oh. you know. Um, and and so and I think that that also knocks out a certain percentage of of black folk who are at least from Philly because I mean we're 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 a blue collar city, we're a very poor city, and a lot of people who are f- like actually from Philadelphia are not necessarily in the arts per se, you know, I mean, and they're, you know, that's, I'm broadly generalizing and there's some variation in that, but like, I mean, and also I just, cause at UArts, the theater department was one of the whitest departments. I mean, and honestly, the, and this is really just anecdotal, but I, I feel like this is true. The, the, the department with the most black people was the dance department, from what I remember. And it was mostly black women. In my graduating class at UArts, within there were literally there was one other black man in my in, in like either acting or musical theater, you know. And most most of the black men at UArts that were in theater were in musical theater. Um, and there just there weren't that many black men in general. Right. Well, I think one of the things that people forget or don't realize about particularly Philadelphia is one we're poor yeah and also we're we're the poorest big city in America and also on and with with that fact is that we're undereducated yeah so I think it helps to have a good education to you know have appreciation of the arts and culture and and so when you when you say good education uh like I mean like are you mean are you meaning in terms of just like academic achievement or the fact that like arts curriculum is not a part of arts what curriculum. The, the average kid's going to get in a Philadelphia right. public so the, school. And the average kid in the Philadelphia public school will probably not unfortunately get a chance to see theater. So if right. you don't get to go, you're not going to appreciate it yeah. or even think about having a career. Also, I think in Philadelphia, people forget, and I, I do this all the time, how small we are. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like we don't, we forget that our population like in 19... 40 or 1950 was like almost twice what we have now. 
Yeah, not tw- uh, uh, at our height, we were like two million, and the lowest we went down to was like one point four. Okay, so we we didn't have a major drop. Like I mean, like St. Louis and Detroit, like literally right. lost like sixty percent of their population. But I mean, we lost this, a significant amount. Right, and I mean, if you think about it, like you know, a lot of the people that support the theater now lives in the suburbs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also one of the things that. And also, one of the things that's great about Philadelphia and also bad is that, you know, we are a city of neighborhoods and we're also like a big, small city. Mm -hmm. Like, we all know each other. Yes. It's a very intimate city. Right. It's a very intimate city. And especially in the theater world. So, you know, going back to, you know, your comment about like, well, maybe this theater company doesn't hire enough, you know, you know, people of color. Odds are that they're hiring the same people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's not that they're racist or anything like that no, no, it's no. just like you know what i've worked with actor a and designer b i get along with them mm-hmm. i know what they do so i'm gonna you know do the same thing yeah 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 i mean uh, you know a lot of it is people hire who they know also i mean the this is the thing and and this is kind of what i was um thinking when we were talking about like tv shows in the 70s uh, in terms of racial diversity is that for the most part people stick to socializing with their own however they define that a lot of times it's racial a lot of times it's political identity sexual orientation um gender identity but you know uh but people hang out with people that generally kind of look like them think like them and talk like them i think that is one of the ways how culture is developed People can, you know, the five, maybe we have six listeners now. Shout out to our sixth <laughs> listener. Um, you know, the six people who are listening to this may be upset by that statement, but I think it's true. And, um, yeah, and like, you know, people kind of, it's not even necessarily like hiring their hiring their friends, but it's like they hire people who are in their world, who like they see at the bars and who like they talk about shows with. And one statistically, ain't a lot of black folk doing theater in Philly. I know because I used to be one of them. And the you know, and at least when I was when I was doing um, auditions, there were kind of like two camps, or there were like three. There were three camps of people. There were. People who did the default white theater, the Wilmas, the 1812s, the Ardens, um, which, you know, I mean, they they are institutions that are that have been developed by white people and cater to primarily white audiences. So they are primarily going to have white cast members and production members. I mean, like that's people are doing stuff for their own. It's not overtly what they're saying. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but that's what they're doing. Then you have. The, you know, the established black actors who, um, you know, uh, were able to do a lot of work at either Freedom, you know, which is our primarily black theater here. And it's, you know, one of the only two black theaters in the or I don't know how many there are now, but the League of Residence Theaters, you know, which is like, I guess, the prestigious like membership to be part of Freedom, I think, was only like the second black theater to be in a part of that you know, um, group, uh, you know, and we used to have bushfire out in West Philly in the early 2000s. I don't know if they're around anymore. I mean, but there weren't a lot of established overtly black theater. So there are a fair amount of black people that like worked up there. And then there were people who like myself, you know, I, I tried to like put my foot in both worlds, but I was such a bad actor. I didn't get hired <laughs> in, uh, in either. And, but, you know, I mean, but I remember, you know, like going to auditions and like, one, you saw the same people at everything. You saw, like, the same 20 people everywhere. And I certainly saw the same, like, seven black people everywhere. Um, and, yeah, and I, 
you know, I don't. Well, I th- yeah, I, I, th- I think I think that there, you know, the, I think that there are like there's a deeper meaning behind it. And I mean, and also like there is the I think the reality for some people that I don't really know how many black people want to see a Tom Stoppard play. I don't know how many white people want to see a Tom Stoppard <laughs> play like, like Tom Stoppard is like, is it that, you know, if you're talking about like Tom Stoppard or you know, Carol Churchill or, I mean, theater is a very like specific thing. And like you said, a lot of these folks are coming in from Bryn Mawr and Ardmore or maybe Chestnut Hill and Rittenhouse Square, but they're not coming from Fishtown. They're not coming from Kensington. They're not coming from Pennsport. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there it's, uh, th- there's a, there's a deeper story Right behind it, then. Well, I also feel Aaron that Posner needs more black friends or whatever. Shout out to Aaron Posner. I don't know <laughs> if you remember me, Aaron. Uh, I think you. Uh, we've met each other maybe three times. So if you're listening ah, to this, well, shout out to you. Uh, well, I think one of the things in Philadelphia is that uh, you can be dependent upon what shows you worked on, and this goes for both black and white, but actors, but primarily, actually, no, equally, depending upon what theater company you work for, you're getting kind of like stigmatized, you know, like, so if you don't, if you don't work for like company A, B, and C, but you work for like D, E, and F, it's like, well, maybe you're not that good. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like one of the things I've seen in the recent years is that some of the actors, especially the actors of color that get the the jobs are those who are outside of Philly Mm -hmm. because they had something else on their resume. Yeah. And they came to Philadelphia because, you know, Philadelphia is a good act in town. Yeah. And so, like, it was like, oh, well, I'm going to hire this person regardless of their color because he or she is a good actor. Yeah. And they get the job. And then, like, once they get the job, like, you know, say at the Arden, like, well, someone says, oh, well, you know what? They worked at the Arden so they could work for me at mm-hmm. the Interact. And I'm not yeah. trying to, I'm not picking on any theaters. Right. Uh, but because again, I think you know everyone hires who they know, yeah. And you know, and like once you direct an actor once, it's like, well, I know what to expect from them, so I'm going to hire them again. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it it is interesting that like you know I know some of those African American actors who have been struggling for like you know their twenty twenty thirty years, you know, who still are great actors who are just now starting to get work mm-hmm. on the quote unquote mainstream main stage because, you know, everyone wants to present like diverse work now. Yeah. Yeah. So like people, and also, I mean like, you know, Philadelphia theater, you know, you could say it's been 20 years or 30 years, however long you want to say like the Renaissance has been, uh, they're running out of plays. Yes. Yeah. You know, like I believe the Wilma has actually done Arcadia twice. Wow. Yeah. You know, like I know like the Arden has done a Midsummer's Night, Night Dream twice. Yeah. So, I mean, in both productions were fabulous, but it's like, you know, if you're starting to repeat yourself after like a 20 year history, right. yeah. you need to do more work. Yeah. And also now there, I mean, there's so much new work mm-hmm. coming out. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, like some of the stuff that came out in the '60s and '70s was geared primarily for an African American audience. Right. Now, like you know, an African American playwright is writing for everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also i I also think that, and you know, and this this goes into like the deeper meanings. I think that there's also a certain amount of like cultural comfort that people have or don't have with each other. And and this is something that like, you know, I I felt myself 
um, is that I never necessarily felt comfortable auditioning for Freedom Theater or Bushfire because I felt like, you know, I wasn't quote unquote black enough for those shows. And like, I wasn't going to get along with the people or like, you know, if I got cast in the show and then, you know, like they're all talking about listening to like Mo's Def or, you know, I'm, <laughs> um, you know, I'm picking a rapper out of the air, you know? So, so if this was happening now and like, and they're talking about listening to Kendrick Lamar and I'm talking about listening to Death Cab for Cutie, it's like, am I going to get made fun of? And what I would imagine, and I feel like I'm correct with this, I don't feel like people would say this, but I think that this is true, is that I think that a lot of these default white theaters, when they're looking at actors, even if the person is um, has the artistic chops to do it, I think there is a subconscious wondering of like, is this person going to fit in here? Are they going to get along? Are they going to be angry or militant? You know, because cause, uh, an experience that I just had growing up generally... Um, not even necessarily in the theater world. It would manifest in the theater world, but it would manifest in lots of other places is that when something would happen on the news that would involve black people being rightfully upset over an injustice that had happened, a lot of my white friends or coworkers would say things to me like, can you believe you know that they did this thing? And then they would say, you don't feel that way, do you? As opposed to asking me, Mike, how do you actually feel about this? It's like, no, you don't let me know that you don't actually feel that way, that you're like not one of them. Well, right. I mean, there is the racism where like, you know, they don't, they're not particularly racist, but it's like, well, you're one of the good ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're different. Right, you're different. And the fact is that probably we are different because of our backgrounds or something like that, but like that's like everyone's different. Exactly, exactly. And, but, but for them, the difference is... What they're what they're implicitly saying is you're better and you're more like us, and so it's yeah, and 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 there there's almost this un, unstated thing of like oh like those black people over there like you, you're not like those black people, you're you're this own thing and you're you're closer with us. I mean, and there's like that they, they don't necessarily mean anything bad by it, but it it has corrosive effects. It affects people's careers. But- it affects. You know, I can only speak for myself. It it gave me a massive mental complex. Um, you know, right? But, but I've also been lucky enough because of being biracial, where I've seen it on the other side, where it's like, can you believe like those like white trash people from blank neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, and so I always like I always look at it more as economic. You know, and it's like like that. You know, because you know, uh a way someone like, you know, African-American from like the suburb of Atlanta acts is a lot different than like, you know, an African-American from, I don't know, Newark maybe. Yeah, or, or Vine City, Atlanta, which is an, a neighborhood that has a fair amount of economic challenges. Okay, I don't know challenges. Atlanta that well. Dude, are you, are you, am I, am I blowing you away with my... You, you, you uh, are with your Atlanta. With I know Coca-Cola and CNN. That's yeah. about my... Oh, the zoo. I think they have a zoo, don't they? they have a, yeah, they have, a, they have a fairly big zoo. Yeah. Uh, also, for the six people that are listening <laughs> out there, Brett Mapp's comments about Newark, New Jersey are his and his only. The well, uh, punk rock old, barbershop old does Newark. not old Newark does does not does not endorse. Well, does, I remember does Newark. not endorse or disavow <laughs> any statement. So, if you have an issue, you can hit Brett up at I don't know. Well, I remember Newark before Cory Booker. No, no, I, <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, no. Um, I. 
I think what you're saying is that, you know, there, there are, so, you know, Newark is a city that has had a fair amount of economic challenges and it's had a fair amount of social challenges. And it's, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like the poster child for a lot of people of like black urban blight or pathology. Um, A lot of that is, is not a, um, a well-deserved reputation. There, there are elements of truth in the fact that Newark has had social challenges. Right. But also, I would imagine that, like, that's how someone maybe in West Virginia might talk about. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because it is funny, like, living on primarily East Coast my whole time, like, in minority, like, you know, cities, I wonder what it's like, you know, and I'm sure, like, you know, the rich West Virginians, like, make fun of their coal mining, like, neighbors. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. 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 Um, all right, so we just have a couple minutes left. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious, like who, like who are the uh, the like the the people in the Philly theater scene that are like really setting the world on fire, either like individuals or uh, or particular companies. Uh, I've, I've been so out a, of the scene for a while, man. So that's a, such a vague question because I feel like it's 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 grown so much since like, you know, when we, you and I were first friends mm-hmm. and you're, you, you're kind of semi in it. Uh, I mean like actors that I love, like Brian Anthony Wilson, you know, I yeah. love him. Always was. And see, can, can you tell people who Brian Anthony Wilson is? Because for the six people well, who are he, listening to this, they you pro- would know him from the wire. Him. Yes. From the wire. But also like, for example, he's going to be in King Lear and Shakespeare and Clark Park coming nice. up in a few weeks. Uh, he, he was also, he had a small part in, I think, um, Keeping the Faith with Edward Norton and Ben Stiller. There's like a scene where they like where Ben Stiller or like Edward Norton plays like some black dudes in one-on-one basketball in New York. And ah, he's okay. like one of the guys. I know he has a cameo in the Ocean Eights movie. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Uh, where he's like a museum guard. That's cool. And then also he was on. I didn't. I've never seen the show, but it's a. Uh, Sirens, I think, on Freeform. Oh, really? Which used to be ABC Family. <laughs> awesome. So I'm not sure what he plays. Dude, but... that's great. I oh, literally and... just learned about that show like two weeks ago. So I'm going to try to watch it I haven't it seen now. it, but I, I think he's like a ship captain or something like that. Awesome. Uh, but uh, what I like, so one of my favorite things or trends, like I, I mentioned earlier, was to pay what you can. Mm-hmm. I love the Drake Theater, their new space, which is home to like Interact, Simpatico. Oh, really? And it's new. Yeah. Like the the like where they used to have the dance shows? Yeah. Yeah, Whoa. that's right. That's right. You're, you're old enough to remember the Drake. I am. University I am. Art. Shout out to the Drake Theater for uh, getting your act together. Uh, Respect. The- theater Exile just recently opened up a new spot in uh, South Philly. So I'm hoping to see if that becomes like the South Philly Drake. Okay. Because what I like about the Drake, it's like a home for the small independent theater yeah. company. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's just hard for a theater company, you know, because they have a budget of like under $250,000, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, you and I come from the world of nonprofits, so we know how hard it is for, you know, yeah. an organization to make it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens with this free Philly fringe thing. You know, how many performers, you know, choose to partake and, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's always interesting to see, like, both Headlong and Pig Iron now that they're established schools, like, to see, like, the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am spacing out of these two young artists, but they, every year for the last couple of years, they've done, like, what I would consider, like, kind of like the Midnight Cult Classic Fringe show. So, like, they I did a couple of years ago, they did a show called Spookfish. And I, I can't believe I'm spacing out on their names because uh, I don't think like, I've ever met them in person. Uh, but last year they did like a show like on like a, you know, 
gay werewolf or something awesome. like that. Awesome. So they like they're probably in their twenties, maybe in their thirties, but they're just doing like you know, cool, interesting, you know, like work. And so that's the nice thing to see like the new upcoming artists. I got to finally go to the Passage Theater last year for the first time, which is in like Trenton, New Jersey. Because I'll, I'll admit it that I am kind of like I don't have a car, so I'm kind of like center city bias because I walk yeah. to everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and like you know, so with the Drake that has like four or five, six things. Uh, play pens coming up where, you know, like a few years ago, like the Tony winning play was in play pen. So oh, okay, you never cool. know what's there. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So we, um, we're about to wrap up. So Brett map, I want to thank you for, for coming down to for first coming up to Germantown. I know that you don't leave center city ever, except for the occasional jaunt to, Trenton to see some theater and you go to Norristown a lot so you pass by Germantown yet I've been in this house for a year and this is the first that you're coming to visit me well if I would have to give a shout out to Theater Horizon who do fantastic work out of Norristown and also have a fantastic program where it's free for all the Norristown residents Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's right. Yeah. So I, 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 I you know, mad shout out to Aaron Riley and all the people at Theater Horizon. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. So, so yeah. So, uh, so we just have a, a, a few minutes left. So, thank you for for coming, uh, coming up, sharing your story. I, you know, I, I learned a little bit about you. I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, as we have dinner later tonight, I'll, I, I might learn some, some more secrets about you. Um. I have a couple of questions to uh, to wrap everything up. So you know, so so we you know, so we talked a bit about uh, you know our experiences uh, at you know as as people of color, black men, biracial. And so side note, how do, I'm just curious, how how do you self-identify? Like biracial, black, half Polish, like half Bar- Barbadoan? Does it change every single day? It, it's just something I'm curious about. So for the longest time, I would just identify myself as Brett. Like I yeah. didn't like look at that. And I would have to say it was. And if, and if you feel that way now, because, cause so like, like I, I'm the type of dude where I believe that people should define or should identify however they like to identify. Like, so for me, I, I take a huge amount of pride in being like, yes, like I, like I actually am a black man in this country. Um, you know, I'm of African descent. I'm of the African diaspora, like, you know, whatever the, the terminology that is, you know, the socially acceptable thing now, but like, that's a very strong part of my identity. And I honestly have no issues if someone's like, I just want to be Tim or Steve or, or, Whomever. So, so, so I would say for the majority of my life, like, you know, I, I, you know, identified as Brett, like, you know, I would always try to check off both boxes, like always super, yeah. super proud of the biracial. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say now, like I check off like black more often than not. And it's almost, it, I would have to say it's a real political statement because mm-hmm. of like the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, obviously our president and just like the rise of racism. Yeah. I just feel like there needs to be more positive black man role models. Gotcha. Uh, and so even if it's just like, you know, checking off a box saying, oh, look, a black man went to our production. You know, if I'm doing a survey for like mm-hmm. a theater company, you know, it just says like, yes, black people do like theater. Or, yeah. You know, black people do make this amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of just like, you know, a statement because it's I, I almost feel like, you know, one aspect like, you know, we took a step backwards 
you know, it's almost back to like the Spike Lee era of Brooklyn, you know, do the right thing where, you know, mm-hmm. the race riots are just around the corner. Right. Uh, you know, I just feel that because overt racism is just so predominant now yeah. that you kind of have to fight it in, in some you do. small you do. ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, I mean, and, you know, I don't I don't know what it's like to have uh, a parent of European descent but i do know that one of the things that i've observed and and barack obama talked about was he talked about how at a certain point he stopped divulging the information that his mom was white like if people asked him about it like he didn't hide it but he didn't volunteer it because he felt like subconsciously he was trying to like form affinity with white people you know to sort of say like oh no like i'm like i'm I, I may be brown, but like I'm 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 connected to one of you. And it like it was it was a thing that he wasn't that comfortable with. And like for me, part of the reason why why I like to like very like overtly identify as black is also sort of like a way of signaling to like everyone of like, okay, well, if you like me, I am black because I'm sure you won't be surprised by the fact that when I was a kid, it was like, you're not really black because you talk this way. You're not really black because your dad has a white collar job. And it's like, you know, like black people live in this town. Black people have college degrees. Black people do very well for themselves. And, and I like to be very overt because even people will like ask me, like they'll say like, well, did you grow up around a lot of white kids? And I'll be like, mm, in high school. And they're like, oh, okay. Like that's why you did so well. It's like, nah, see, that's actually super insulting because my father grew up in a completely all black community and he went to college when he was 16. So, so for, for me, it like, it is a claiming of these are the things that black people have accomplished and I'm not the only one, you know? So yeah, it was just something I was curious about. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. No problem. Um, all right, so 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 we we we've we've covered uh, many things. So I, w- I wanna I wanna wrap it up. Uh, I have a segment where where I I ask three questions of people where um you know uh you know we uh, we we learn a little bit more about them. So we talked about Skynet, which had uh, Miles <laughs> M- Dyson was uh, was was one of the big engineers that worked for Skynet. You know I haven't seen Terminator Two in a while, so I don't re- exactly remember his job. But he was played by the great Joe Morton. Very talented brother from another planet. Brother from another planet. Such a great movie. I own that on DVD. So good. So good. I think um, I have VHS. <laughs> eh, you're old school. So yeah, he he was the brother from a bro- from brother from another planet. He played Kerry Washington's dad on Scandal. Uh, he was in Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah, the sequel. Cause like the the story was that um I guess. Uh, like the, the the Blues Brothers' dad had a had an affair with a black woman, oh, so he had a black son. Right, right, yeah. right. I forgot about that. I think I saw it once. So I, I, I actually I, never saw it, but I just remember from the from the commercials. All right, so we had Joe Morton, you know, underrated, great black actor, has done some you know work in the world of science fiction. Uh, we had we were talking about Firefly, and the, and there was the kind of light skinned brother who looked like looks like my dad's uh, actual brother. Who was who was the guy on Firefly? He was oh, like the he, dude, he had the ponytail, and he used to be on uh, on Barney Miller. Barney back, Miller, right? Back in oh, the 70s. Ron Miller. Ron right. Miller, yeah. Ron Miller. All right. So so if if there's one other great uh, uh, underappreciated black person who has who has been in a great sci-fi show or movie. So we we got we got Joe Morton, oh. we got Ron Miller, who's the who's who's the third person you would recommend? 
Oh wow, I'm on the spot. You're on yeah. the spot. I put people on the spot. I don't. I don't give him these questions beforehand. I don't want him to prep. Actually, you know who's underrated and who who will be getting his due? Uh, Billy D. Williams. In now, in in the new House of Skywalker, is that what you're talking about? Well, he's going to be in the new House of Skywalker now because you know you're too young, so you don't remember seeing him like in the '70s or something like that. But like he was like the Denzel Washington of his time. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, I'm not sure why. Like Denzel is still getting work, and who knows yeah. how old Denzel is? Right. But Billy D. Williams and like some of the other actors. You know, of the '60s and '70s, like they just stopped. You know, because it's like yeah. you can only have one black actor, right? You yeah. know, now we're allowed to have like maybe you know four. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Billy D. Williams, I think, is underrated. Now, granted, like you know, granted, like you know, uh, you know, Lando, you know, L- Lando is like Lando. Just, Lando is just like the coolest character, but and I'm not sure if he ever did anything else sci-fi. Oh, oh, and from oh, what is his name? Uh, I'm spacing out, but, uh, the Rocky movie, uh, oh, Apollo, uh, Creed. Apollo Creed, uh, from they live with Rodney Rodney Piper. Oh, he's fight. in that. Yeah. He's I've actually, I've never, I've never uh, seen it. I've never seen it. Like has one of the greatest all time fight scenes of all okay. time. Nice. Nice. Carl yeah, Weathers. I, yeah. The great Carl. We- I love. And him. also plus in a uh, predator. Yes. That's, that's what I was about to say. I loved him in predator. The other dude. Oh, and also I think he was in running man. With Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, Yafit Kodo was. Oh, that was okay. yeah, that was Yafit Kodo, who was also oh, to live and let die. Yeah, yeah, uh, as uh, as Kananga slash uh, Mister Big, and yeah, li- live and let die, which is my favorite James Bond film. Uh, Yafit Kodo was also in one of the Aliens movies. Oh, oh like uh, either Alien or Aliens. I haven't I actually right, right, haven't right. seen I think Alien. I think yeah, you're I right. I haven't seen those. Um. Uh, the other uh, underappreciated black man who was in Predator, who I actually met at Whole Foods, Bill Duke. So the like the the oh, the bald guy in Predator. Yes, he's, yes, yeah, yes. he's like like the real old school dude. I met him when I was working at Whole Foods. Like he and his wife, they were in Philly for a film festival. Oh, okay, yeah, very cool, interesting, very 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 cool. All right, okay, so all right, so so we we've gone over some some great um, underappreciated <laughs> black actors. Uh, I, I hope that I was happy to see Billy D. Williams in the, uh, the preview for the, you know, house of Skywalker or whatever it's called for the, but those <laughs> movies, I'm, I, they, if they didn't make them, I would have been fine. You know, rogue one is awesome. Solo. Yeah, it was all right. But the, 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 the JJ Abrams star Wars, yeah, I, I could do without him, but that's just me. That's, that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, two more questions. Um, so either, so we, you know, we, we talked about some, you know, some great eighties sitcoms, some great, you know, family sitcoms. Um, give me your top three memories from either seventies or eighties family sitcoms. Oh, family sitcoms. Well, obviously, uh, good times Mm -hmm. when he dies. In Florida, just going, damn, damn, right, damn, right. When, damn. Yeah, when when James, James Senior when James dies. Senior dies. Uh, let's see what else. I kind of liked. I'm gonna. I, you're gonna hate me for this, but uh, the C show. 
Okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I love the the. I mean, yeah. Well, no, Naomi just, and I have had many conversations. I can't listen to his stand up comedy. Okay, because I mean, it's too based on real life, and he makes jokes about using Spanish fly, so I can't yeah, do that. Right. I mean, but I mean, it's it's literally, but perhaps see, the greatest American family sitcom ever made. But also, it was uh, educated. You know. Both parents were professional. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was the first time you saw someone like your your skin color. Yeah. That had like, you know, like even George Jefferson, like, you know, Wheezy still was like, you know, stay at home mom. Right. You know. Uh so that was always good. And and it all it also didn't go heavily into like racial tropes, which the Jeffersons like really did. I mean, like yeah. so much of it was built on George calling like the you know the white people honkies and being mad at the interracial couple. Right. Well he was and, he was basically Archie Bunker. It yeah, was the same yeah. thing. Uh, I here's one for you because also growing up biracial, whatever, so there wasn't much diversity in shows. Like, you know, like, yes, there was, you know, like, like you, you were just talking about the Jeffersons, but uh, fame. Because mm-hmm. you think about fame was yeah. like probably one of the first, and it's not really a sitcom, it's more right. of a drama. Uh, if we could go with sitcoms, it would be Welcome Back Carter, yeah. but like, you know, with a multiracial cast. Yeah. You know, but also, you know what? I love Barney Miller. I was a oh, huge Barney, Barney. Miller. That was the show, man. I mean, yeah. I I was too young to remember when Barney Miller was on originally, but I used to see the the reruns. And yeah, I mean, Hal Hal Linden is awesome. Ron Miller was cool. Yeah, I mean, and that that was like a like a kind of like super diverse show because they had like the Japanese dude, right? And then like yeah, there yeah, and there was like the super like Polish detective. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. it was, yeah, it was like, one of each. One yeah, of each. yeah, it, yeah. It was like every sort of group. And then yeah, I mean the opening theme song is so good, man. And then uh, Welcome Back Carter was a little like that too. Yeah, uh, and it's funny because like also I feel like in those days like you know it wasn't diversity for diversity's sake. I think it was just like. You know, the more people we get of different groups, like we could get more people to watch our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, 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 diversity for for money's sake. Right. Well, yeah, I I think. I'm not sure. Because also, if you think about like Happy Days, I don't think ever had a person of color. So there there was like one episode where like uh, I I didn't see it when it actually happened. But like you can find the episode on the Internet. Yeah, there's like. A black person moves into town, and of course, they're treated horribly. And Richie, you know, as the you know, as the great white right. savior, like goes over and it's like, oh no, you're cool with me, daddy, over something. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. Yeah, but there's but like, I mean, like Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mandy. Yeah, no, you know, right. But like, so, like, or even Taxi. As far as I know, Taxi was all white. There was was there 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 was a there was a black man who sort of like worked in the taxi like he he was kind of a like uh a, a lesser known like side character who then okay. like later got more of a role but like he was the only one and and he really only interacted with Danny DeVito okay I don't remember him that much. yeah and and the guy who did it I mean I I do not think he had a very prominent TV or film career right. but then you also had the great Venus flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati yes you did yes you did the this, great Tim Reed who, yeah who might be my actual uncle because he looks a lot like my dad. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there was some great shows back then, you know, that, you know, I th- like, you know, like going back with WKRP, like, you know, Venus Flytrap, yes, there was some of the stereotypical, like, quote-unquote, black jokes, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, you know, as stereotypical as, say, 227 or What's Happening. 
See, I thought I actually thought two two seven wasn't what's happened. See, I thought well, I thought like JJ and Good Times was super stereotypical. Oh the, yes, the rest of the family, which is actually that's why John Amos left the show because he thought it was just turning into a coon show because of you know JJ, um, what they, right. yeah, and and even like the same thing happened with what's happening where I think um like Shirley Hemphill. As as the show became more about the kids and the yeah and like and actually like as it became more about rerun and just like the physical humor like she was like yo like this is not this is not right because didn't they cool. do like reruns family or something like that well or? they had what's happening now where right, Raj got married right, I mean I also like what's happening was a little before like I mean oh, it was, it was a little before, before my time right but it, and what's happening is actually based off of Cooley High the movie. Yeah, it's there's no so I the I think the producers or like yeah some of the TV producers they like they saw Cooley High they thought it was really you know it was great and so they're like oh we want to do like a you know a a kind of more lighthearted TV version of Cooley High except they completely change it you know the, so I think the only commonality was that it was about black kids but aside from that it's <laughs> like all right school. so we'll take it from Chicago and put it in it was what like in like Watts or like South it was like somewhere in LA I think was it, it where, I can't even remember yeah, yeah I think what's happening took place in California okay um yeah so it wound up being nothing like Cooley High except that yeah I mean it was black kids in high school um but you know uh, did you ever see the What's Happening where rerun uh, bootlegs the Doobie Brothers concert? Oh, That's like the episode yes. that everyone talks yes, about. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I, just, I just remember like in at UArts, all of my white friends somehow <laughs> never saw What's Happening, but somehow they saw that one episode. They, they, they saw that one episode. Um, okay, uh, final question. If there is a um, if there is a young person out there in the world just trying to figure out who they are, um, and if this young person, so for young people in general, but particularly for uh, for young people who have definite, distinct Black African heritage, whether that is on coming from both of their parents, you know, both of their biological parents, or maybe it is coming from one of their biological parents. So if, you know, for that sort of theoretical young person out there who's trying to find their way in the world, what advice do you have for them? So I guess the one thing is it's, it's never been easier to find like-minded people, you know, because of social media and stuff like that. I mean, so... You know, like there's a show, like a, another podcast, like the Black Tribbles, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, like, you know, it's funny, like, you know, we're going out to, later on with our quote unquote African-American male friends who are geeks, nerds, etc. Yes. And who are, you know, are like the good blacks. Yes. You know, we're like, you know, like and but like. You could find people like us. We just randomly found each other. Yeah, we yeah, it was it was kind of like uh, kind of a. Uh, not a miracle, but it was, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of like came together. And I don't think I ever told you this because so, um, so when I first met Chris and Dave, like you, you had invited all of us over to your house. This was like, oh, right, right 2010. Right, right. So I remember like when I got there, cause you know, like I thought like, oh, well, you know, I'm like, it's going to be me and Brett and like, you know, these two white dudes name, you know, Chris and Dave. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and I think Gregory Walker was there that, oh, okay, like that right. first. Time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like, I remember like I got there and then like 
Gregory showed up. I'm like, oh, this is another black dude. And then Dave showed up, and I was like, oh, it's another black dude. <laughs> and then Chris showed up. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, whoa, like we're all black. And then I was like, all right, like that's cool. And then as we, you know, we started talking, and definitely more, um, like more Dave and Chris, Chris really. than the Gregory. Like you know, right. Gregory's you know not like you know as like in our super sci-fi world. But yeah, like like as you all were talking about like you know. I'm trying to remember everything that we talked about that day, but it, Star I, Trek. Probably. Yeah, yeah. We, there was a lot of Star Trek yeah. and Marvel and DC and Lord of the Rings, and I remember being like, "Oh no, like these black dudes are super, super into sci-fi and fantasy." Now, for me, the aside from having to go because I love my wife and she loves the Hobbit movies, like. The only reason I went to see any of the Hobbit movies, if anyone else aside from Naomi asked me to see the Hobbit movies, I would not have gone. But because I love you guys so much, I went. But yeah, I I love the fact that you are black men who who love who love the Hobbit and love Lord of the Rings. I, I could take right. or leave. But so and, going with that, like it's easy to find someone. Like whether you're just on a Facebook group or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. So, and also I feel that like, you know, the cultural barriers are like, like, let's face it, more white people probably listen to rap now yeah. than, than, you know, black people. So, and even the way we listen to music now, like you don't buy an album, you right. download a song. So, and like, I don't know if anyone still listens to the radio, but I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know if there's still black stations, white stations or whatever, uh, I guess there are, but I mean, like, you know, music's in, in, even more integrated. So things are more integrated now. So I think you can find someone that's like you and just like, don't settle. Like, you know, and, you know, don't not be yourself. Like if you're like, you know, a black man that likes Buffy the ba- Vampire Slayer, go for it. You know, because, you know, believe it or not, there are other black men out there who are just like you. Except me. I do not like Buffy the Vampire. You know, I haven't really seen it, so I can't judge. Right, right. You're just uneducated. It's in not that, that one aspect, lo- In that one aspect of your life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so busy, Brett. I don't have time to watch. Uh, yeah. Well, wait till Mercer gets a little older and he starts to look for a TV show. Wasn't Buffy on the WB? Yes. See, that's why I didn't watch it because I didn't watch Smallville either. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't watch the W. But then it became well. But then it became the it C- became the C- CW. The CW. I might watch or, Black Lightning because like that seems oh, that's interesting. A good show. You would like that? Yeah, and I think Bill Duke has a great is, is, is on that. Does it? Okay. I was upset that Luke Cage went off the air, but yeah. You know, well. All right, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking when you are supposed to be talking and sharing your great wisdom with. The oh, people. I think that was it. Let's, let's that was it. There, there's, you know. Be yourself, and there are people just like you out there. Beautiful. Well, Brett Map, thank you very much. I appreciate you, and I'm looking forward to hanging out with you for the rest of the day because we're going to go see uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And did, did we settle on Lucky's Last Chance yeah. for, for burgers afterwards? Cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another installment of the, uh, the Punk Rock Barbershop. Oh, yeah. Final, final, final question. I know I keep saying that, but I swear this is the last time. <laughs> so if people want to um, uh, learn about your cultural connection work and your work as the, you know, uh, you are a cultural connector and you have the chronicles of a cultural connector, uh, how can just someone... Look, just look me up on Facebook. Just Brett Map. Brett Map. So look... So, 
People just look you up on Facebook. Just yeah. Just map. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll make that work. Um, awesome. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate you. No problem, sir. Thank you. Look at that. Look at you. You're all professional. Yeah.